0: Hey everybody welcome back to the gray malkin lane podcast the podcast where queer friends and allies gather to review and discuss the original x-men comics from the 1960s now once a month we break format and we put our characters on trial uh these take a lot of work and a lot of research and a lot of coordination we have a cast of six i am so honored to have our jury members here with us today uh sharing their time and talents Uh, We have put a number of characters on trial at this point, and we have a blast. These are my favorite episodes to do just because they're smart and fun and completely change my perspectives on characters uh, across the board. So today we are honored to, uh, 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 well, honored. Today we get to put uh, Warren Worthington III on trial, uh, the infamous angel slash archangel. So let me do just a little bit of an introduction and we'll have each of our jury members introduce themselves. Uh, For centuries, Christian humans have been obsessed with the concepts of heaven and hell hell is a place of eternal fire full of little red demons and a pitchfork wielding devil who rules them it's the place where all humans uh, judged to be evil go to suffer eternal torment with lakes of fire and brimstone heaven however is all fluffy clouds and shining lights populated by winged white humans with feathered wings and harps who live in eternal bliss based on holy, happy lives. Now, I'm of course uh, treating some of my Christian upbringing here as we give these descriptions, uh, but I'm watching Looney Tunes with my children a lot lately and Heaven and Hell appear in every other episode and they have these same types of depictions. The angels are ruled by, ruled by a Christian God who is generally a bearded white man in white robes who not only created the humans but wrote the rules for them to exist by. The Bible is full of angels And uh, excuse me, full of images of angels as messengers, representing hope and miracles as they bring light to the good humans. But the Bible is also full of angels with flaming swords and righteous anger sent to administer judgment and destruction to the bad ones, wiping out cities and civilizations for disobedience and wickedness. Uh, And the character we're going to talk about today, we get to see both sides, which is going to be an interesting conversation to have. In X-Men number one, five mutant teenagers are introduced, sworn to fight for the dream of Professor X, one of peaceful coexistence between mutants and humans. And among them is Warren Worthington III, the lonely child of billionaires, the blonde and blue-eyed beautiful teen with massive feathered white wings sprouting from his back and his codename, the Angel. My name is Chad Anderson. I'm the host of Graymalkin Lane. I'm going to let each of our five jury members introduce themselves. Let us know your gender pronouns, where we might know you from. Uh, and the question for today just as you're kind of talking things through a little bit what do you love about the angel and do you have a favorite angel story uh, let's begin by I am thrilled to welcome back to the podcast my friend Sarah Century hi Sarah
1: Hi, I'm Sarah nice to meet everybody my name's Sarah Century I'm she her pronouns and or whatever truly and I am on a lot of podcasts very often sometimes this one I have my own podcast it's called bitches on comics I do that with Monica Estrella Negra and S.E. Flinor. I have guested on Cerebrocast a whole bunch of times. If you're an X-Men fan, I recommend that. I'm guessing you're an X-Men fan if you're listening to this podcast, but (laughs) I don't tell you how to live. You don't tell me how to live. We have a good, you know. Anyway, uh, so I do Decoded Pride, which is a queer and anthology that has a bunch of different creators. We do it every single year so far. And I don't know, I do a lot of stuff. So it's probably best just to ch- stick with those. Maybe follow me on Twitter, check my website, sarahcentury.com. You can find out all kinds of stuff about me. Um, but yeah, <laughs> just in, in the interest of brevity, we'll keep it to that. And um, yeah, I love archangel and angel i think maybe i like angel a little bit more than i like archangel but that's probably a fairly popular opinion considering that archangel is kind of an edge lord <laughs> kind of definitely an edge lord because the sharp wings yeah so um I love this guy. He's really fun. He's probably my favorite of the 05 other than Gene. Gene is number one, of course, but I think Angel is probably my second favorite. I really like this guy because he is Kind of like what we wish rich people were, I guess, you know, it's like you want the rich guy who's going to give away all of his money and kind of help everybody and be fun and affable. But he does have that bad side to him where he kind of thinks he's better than everybody else a little bit sometimes. And we'll see that a lot in this episode. But there's there's definitely problems. But I think that he's a fun character whenever it comes to being able to play around in that sort of realm. Did I miss any of the questions? Was no, that no, anything? that was
0: that was great. Uh, <laughs> okay. just, well, I guess. Uh, do you have a favorite Angel story that comes to mind?
1: Oh, I any well, taking it back to Cerebro, anything where he's teamed up with Candy Southern is going to be my A plus favorite. I love him in the Defenders. I think that that's probably his best era. And um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's like he's one of those characters where you don't see him enough in the spotlight. But I liked him in X Corp a lot too.
0: Fantastic. Uh, we can just toss out the word privilege right here at the beginning and let that resonate <laughs> in our ears. Uh, thank you, Sarah. It's uh, it's wonderful to have you back. Uh, I'm thrilled to have uh, Bradley Clayton back as well. Hi, Bradley
2: hi uh how are you? Uh, my name is Bradley Clayton obviously uh they them I am an illustrator um you'll find me on young men in love I work for a magazine I do a lot of art online um but um what were the what were the questions again uh
0: what, just where people know you from and then uh, uh what's your favorite angel story or what do you love about the angel?
2: Oh, I agree with Sarah. Angel is what you wish uh, rich people were in that he's like fun and affable. And I mean, most importantly, hot. Because if you're that rich and not hot, what are you doing with all that money? Uh, (laughs) Emma Frost knows what's up. Uh, uh, If you're not hot, keep doing things until you are. Uh, (laughs) But um, no, I, yeah, I think Angel, I I would say probably uh, like a, uh, Top tier angel story for me is the uh, the like um, original like uh, Horseman of the Apocalypse stuff. I think it's it's sort of um, Archangel is sort of the best and the worst thing that ever happened to Warren Worthington as far as is concerned. It's like it's like the Phoenix Force in terms of like it it took the character to a whole new level, but he's also like he'll never work his way past it uh, <laughs> as like. Uh, um, as far as like a thing that keeps coming up in, in his life. Cause it's kind of the the easiest thing to throw in for like a,
0: uh, a twist. Um,
2: but yeah, pro- probably the apocalypse stuff. I think that's great.
0: Wonderful. And uh, I'm happy to have uh, Steve Duna back as well. Hi Steve.
3: Hello Chad, hello everybody. I'm glad to have made it in here. Can you all hear me? Yes, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, I was uh, a struggle getting in here today, but Um, Yeah, my name is Steve. I use uh, they and them pronouns. You can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda, H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. You can hear me podcasting with X's for podcasts and X of words, both of which can be found on Twitter and wherever podcasts are listened to. Um, But most of the time, yeah, I'm just posting like an idiot with X-Men brain. and um when it comes to angel I'm, i've never been like a huge fan of angel i'm often to be completely frank a fan of angel when he looks like i'd like him to look like when i when he when i think he looks hot <laughs> so like empire x-men for me is an iconic x-men story with angel in it just because i um i do like a lot of the older x-factor stuff uh but unfortunately i've never actually read the part where he becomes angel because that part has been missing from marvel unlimited for a really long time <laughs> <laughs> and uh i don't know i've i've always enjoyed him when he's Archangel, I think it's, as Bradley mentioned, it makes the character interesting for the first time, at least to me. And um, it's absolutely devastating and he'll never, ever get away from the consequences of it as we see in pretty much all of these eras um, that we'll be talking about here today. Um, but yeah, I, I, if I had to choose a favorite angel story, it's definitely Empire X-Men. He just looks the best.
0: Uh, wonderful. And then I'm so honored to have uh, Mr. Hussain Rashid back with us. Hi, Hussain.
3: Hey Chad! Hey everyone! Nice
4: to be here. It's St. Rashid. He, him. Um, at this point, you probably, if you listen to this podcast, you probably know me most from Gray Malkin Lane. At this point, <laughs> uh, which is which is a, which is great, and I wear that badge with honor, and I, I will I will wave that flag all day, every day. Um, prior to that, uh, and my my infamy coming from here, I uh, am also a researcher on religion and popular culture. I've written a book on Ms. Marvel or edited a book on Ms. Marvel. Um, Apparently, there's a show on TV now that might be relevant. So, uh, just throwing that out there. Uh, and uh, you know, much like Steve, I, I don't, I don't dislike Angel. He's just not up there for me. I mean, you know, in the earlier runs, he was sort of bland background. Um, I think for me, in part, he represented, you know, that idealization of what the ideal American should be: the blonde hair, blue, eye, uh, blonde hair, blue eyed, Aryan. Sort of ideal, which I, was, I actually found kind of off-putting and very rich. And he does some stuff with that money, but as we see, he gives it to Cameron Hodge, and some of that stuff isn't so good. You know, I, I, uh, I, I just, uh, I just don't feel for him in the same way. Having said that, really, one of the most memorable stories for me from uh, any Angel Arc is the uh, is the one where people think he's committed suicide. I thought that was so well-written. I thought it felt so in character for somebody who's coming from a life of privilege and was feeling like his life was coming apart and not having other options. I, I just thought it was really just well done. And it it was probably the truest emotional arc I've ever felt for uh, Warren Kenneth Worthington or Angel, however we're going to call him um, uh, for me. And I don't know if I think about Angel except in relationship to other people, and so I really like his interactions with Psylocke when he's in relationship with Psylocke. Uh, those are some of my, own, uh, you know, some of my favorite stories that come up. Um, yeah, I think that was everything. Right?
0: Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, I uh, I just spent a week in Puerto Rico with my husband and kids, and my uh, my children came down with COVID, so we spent a lot of time in the hotel room. And we watched whatever was on TV because there was terrible internet for hours and hours every day. It was awful. Anyway, now we're home and we're going to watch Miss Marvel tonight. <laughs> I'm so excited <laughs> to be back in my own house. <laughs> I thought of you when I saw the show came out. I'm excited to uh, to finally be able to view it this evening. Uh, and then, last but certainly not least, uh, one of my my dear friends, uh, Miss Noel Reed, who I believe has been on every trial uh, at Grey and I'm so happy to have you here. Hi,
5: Noel. Hi, I'm Noelle. Yes, I love the trials. I actually, for this one, for everyone else, I messaged Chad and was like, "If you like need space for somebody else, uh, I'm always here." But I have so much fun, so I'm so glad that you keep letting me come back for them. You're my first um, message every time. <laughs> oh, thank you. I have so much fun with these. Um, and yeah, Angel is not really a character that I loved. He like to me, he's just always kind of there, even in like the original run of the X-Men and everything but like Sarah said that was like almost exactly what I thought he's what we want rich people to be I kind of think of him as like the good version versus like a Tony Stark who has like the arrogant genius like he has like all the good stuff he's rich and he joins the X-Men and working for good things um but thank god he's
2: he's dumb we have enough rich uh geniuses
5: (laughs) yes (laughs) <laughs> so great of him to represent dumb hot boys. <laughs> love him for that. <laughs> um, and my favorite story is like a really silly one. I love the story of apocalypse and like that whole road with the like archangel, but my favorite single story of him is actually from when he's a kid and he has to save the other kids from a fire at the school. And so he runs to the theater department, puts on an angel costume, and saves them, but doesn't want to let anyone know who he is. It was, it's so silly and so fun to read. I think that's my favorite one.
0: Um. So my name is Chad, lastly, I use he, him pronouns. Um. Uh, rereading this, I, I started collecting comics in the mid nineties and I went back and reread not reread, read for the first time all of the Claremont era stuff and the New Mutants and X Factor uh, back when I was a teen. And the, the story Hussein referenced uh, in X Factor where they tear Angel down to pieces and then build him back up into this death machine. Uh, uh, Louis Simonson's work there was just stunning. Upon rereading his chronology for the this trial, uh, I discovered a really strong love for, uh, I believe it's Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa's uh, Angel Revelations book that goes back and explores his early days. Uh, which is drawn gorgeously and uncharacteristically um, uh, and has a lot of metaphor in it. I also really enjoyed uh, Rick Remender's Uncanny X-Force run where Angel kind of becomes the apocalypse. And we're going to cover that in the trial today. But uh, both of those were really, uh, really dense, wonderful reads. Uh, Angel's a character that I feel like is a lot of people's you know he doesn't make your top list if you chose your your top 10 8 x-men that you want on a team angel's not going to make a lot of people's lists but i think everybody knows him everybody likes him uh, or or doesn't really regard him much is kind of my perception as we're talking through this but i think in the 60s he was maybe the favorite for a while uh, you see him featured a lot in the 05 uh, he takes a lot of central space in the book the guy that could fly right it's a uh, He's an incredible character in those ways. I love that we're already calling him the uh, the rich, good-hearted, but dumb <laughs> hero who doesn't quite know what to do with his resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, he's balanced out by the, uh, the apocalypse of it all, of course. Um, uh, so let's take the first while to just kind of talk about Angel as a character. As always, I've prepared some notes, and from anyone in the jury, feel free to interject at any point. And I know I say this all the time when you guys are guesting, but it's such an honor to have you each here. I am delighted to spend this time with uh, intelligent, uh, personable, wonderful nerds that I respect and enjoy. uh, And those that I keep inviting back are my very favorites. (laughs) So thank you all for coming back uh, and being here with me. Okay, so the only child in his family, Warren Worthington III, was born into privilege with his parents, Warren Jr. and Catherine, enjoying their inherited wealth and the fruits of their business, called Worthington Industries, a company established over 150 years ago, which is an international conglomerate specializing in aviation technology and alternative fuels, among various other ventures. Uh, The Worthington name was connected to the wealthy elite, even establishing a place in the inner circle of the Hellfire Club. From his earliest days, Warren was never afraid of heights, frightening his parents as he climbed into the treetops. In a flashback story to his early childhood in the original 60s books, he falls out of a tree. And as he's falling, he's like, oh, thank goodness, my family's $20,000 swimming pool is right underneath me. (laughs) (laughs) breaks his fall and then his private butler has to tend to him Uh, in time his parents sent him off to a fancy boarding school where he excelled as a top athlete before discovering the wings growing out of his back warren learned how to hide his wings binding them to his back which is a metaphor for queerness we talked a lot about on the podcast uh, concealing them beneath his clothing Uh, He began isolating from his peers so he wouldn't be discovered, and he soon began using a heroic identity, calling himself the Avenging Angel in order to save kids from a fire and expose an evil priest who was molesting students, encountering the mutant Mary Margaret at the same time. Uh, Warren dressed at times as a biblical angel when he was in these uh, adventures, later giving giving himself a costume before being recruited by the X-Men. He also befriended the beautiful Candy Southern, who we can talk about for a long time because we're big fans. Uh, as well as the rich Cameron Hodge, and both would end up becoming uh, major players later in his adult life. Uh, Angel trained alongside the X-Men and fought deadly threats ranging from the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants to the Sentinels. He became fast friends with his teammates and had a romantic interest in Jean Grey for a time, but Candy Southern re-entered his life and he dated her on and off over the years in 3 of his earliest adventures none of which will put him on trial for angel had a dark side that was released in combat causing him to briefly fight his allies uh all, th- uh, all but the third are pretty ridiculous stories <laughs> the right. third one's all right in the first one he inhales a strange gas that uh, uh, uh that makes him fight his his teammates for a second and then he's got to fly into space and have it blown up i don't know it's it's a weird story uh then he gets affected by uh iron man's atomic bomb that goes off and it makes him evil for a minute before he gets healed and then finally uh in a beautifully drawn uh story sauron hypnotizes him and makes him fight the team uh we wonder if these are perhaps the earliest appearances of archangel these releasings of his dark side early on during this time the uh Five original X-Men were taken to the future for an extended amount of time. Angel was horrified by the state of the world, particularly after meeting a bizarre messianic version of his future self. He ended up passing through the Black Vortex and got cosmic wings of fire. He dated Laura Kinney, X-2-3, for a time, and he, then he was sent back in the past to uh, to live his life out with the wings of the Mimic grafted onto his back. In the following years, Angel had many adventures, uh, but also went through some significant trauma. Professor X seemingly died for a time. Then Angel's uncle, Bert Worthington, a villain called the Dazzler, no, not that Dazzler, uh, murdered Angel's father and later his mother in order to take over the company. Uh, And it would be a few years before Angel would inherit his family's company, Worthington Industries. He also had adventures Alongside a new team of X-Men, he joined up with the Champions and the Defenders, where Candy Southern acted as the team leader for a while. Uh, During these times, he was badly wounded by the Morlocks in an infamous story where his wings were pinned to the wall. He also went blind for a time with the Defenders, giving us the the blind angel story we needed, (laughs) more biblical (laughs) references uh warren soon rejoined the original x-men forming x factor mutants who posed as human mutant hunters in order to get access to new mutants who needed to be given a home and proper training he funded this team while working with uh, his childhood friend cameron hodge and then life got very very bad for him very quickly uh, and we're going to spend most of our trial talking about what happened to him after that so we kind of just covered the first 20 years of his publication history give or take a couple of years, uh, very quickly. And the rest of it has all been dominated by Archangel stuff. So uh, during this time, we see Angel become very suicidal. His wings are amputated, and then he gets mutated by Apocalypse, who uses a celestial death seed, we'll talk about that later, uh, into the blue-skinned, razor-winged Archangel. Over the last several decades, Uh, Much of Angel's history has been related to him seeking to conquer this darker nature, and he vacillates back and forth between archetypes. He's either the carefree hero and the billionaire backer of the team. In fact, that's what he's doing now on Krakoa as he works with X Corp. Or he's that angelic, feather-winged agent of hope and healing, sometimes during periods of vast memory loss. And then we get the dark side, the blue skinned razor winged angel of death and destruction who wants to murder everything and craves blood, kind of a vampiric side almost to him sometimes. So uh, let's kind of discuss this as a jury for just a few minutes. Whoever has thoughts here, feel free to chime in. Uh, let me just pause at the questions. If you have any thoughts on anything I just covered, I'd love to hear them, but what does Angel mean to the X-Men? What does his character represent and what versions of him do you like best? Anyone? Who I don't might- know, but I'm-
2: I would like to propose a drinking game where we take a shot every time his wings are violently ripped off.
1: Uh. Get drunk real quick on that one. Um. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, that was such a theme for such a long time, right? Because it's like you have wings and so what are we going to do with them, you know? Mm-hmm. Like any person who comes up, that's their first idea. <laughs> um, yeah, how terrifying. I love Angel. I love Angel before he becomes Archangel a lot actually, but not in the early days of the 05. I think it takes until Candy Southern comes in for him to become really interesting. And then he still is kind of like uh you can tell that she has to tell him where to be that day, you know, kind of like, he's always kind of trying to be like, it's cool, I'm having fun. And Candy's like, okay, but we're leaving now. Like we're going and, you know, trying to get you have a meeting in the morning. And I think that that's why Candy is so amazing. And maybe it is like the introduction of her almost that makes me like him as much as I do. But it's like that to me was this time of him just being more fleshed out as a character because he starts doing this. They start doing this kind of um, like snappy dialogue, like kind of uh, those old like screwball comedies kind of situation. It's like Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn ish or something or like we've, you know, basically the vibe changes with him and he becomes fun. He's actually an entertaining guy for a while instead of it being like the smart, handsome, pretty guy who's like messing up the Jean and Cyclops, you know, love affair. So I like him for that time period. I think that he's really great. And probably Defenders is my favorite version of him because that's mostly him with candy. But I do think that, yeah, there's something about that guy. And as you say, like tear his wings off, they, there's a compulsion to tear a lot of things. Things off of him right like people want to take his happiness people are just like you know what actually we don't like this guy that much you know and you'll see him <laughs> and Wolverine have these like spats like where they're always he's like you're a killer and Wolverine's just like you're a rich guy and like okay but then later he dates Laura right which is like I knew there was something going on between you two like that's basically like Laura Kinney's existence and who's attracted to Laura you're just like I knew it. I knew there was something going on here. So I like, (laughs) I like all of that. I also think that writers tend to do this thing where they go, well, we're sick of the Archangel storyline. And then they're like, well, he's just kind of, as you say, he's kind of like this, um, like not a thought in his head. But that kind of sucks in a way, too, because it seems like always Betsy is the one who's having to, like, clean up after him whenever it's that situation, right? So I think that as much as I love those two together, there's a whole time period where I'm kind of like, mm, like, because he's like, yeah, oh, I God. forgot everything. and
2: Betsy's the one, when Betsy's the one with her shit together, like, between the two of you. Something's gone really awry. <laughs> like, something is majorly wrong in the sauce. Yeah.
4: Hey, I, I keep thinking back, Chad, you did this episode I, about Warren and Gene trying to go and get money to travel to save Professor X. And one of your guests, and I can't remember because I've actually listened to these episodes, but was like, they must be high. They're driving up in a, a Bentley. And you're like, why don't you just talk to Bentley and get the money you need to go to wherever you're trying to get to. I think it was Paris at the time.
0: Let me, uh, that. L- let me cover that super briefly, Hussain, then I'll turn it back. Please. Uh, there's please. a story where Professor X has been kidnapped by Factor 3. The X-Men need money to get to Europe to go save him. But Warren's parents are on a cruise, so they drive his welfare. His They drive his Rolls Royce to the welfare office dressed in full suits and go in and say, we need money to get to Europe. <laughs> and the people are like, fuck no. And then they watch him drive away mm-hmm. in his Rolls
4: Royce. This, like, this is evidence of how <laughs> stupid <laughs> this guy is. But, anyway, but the I think one ahead. of your guests said that, that he was high. Like, yeah, Gene clearly. and Warren are high. And there's, there's, they're smoking. And they're high. Okay. Because bo- it's like the dumbest plan ever. And I keep thinking that basically explains Warren for me throughout pretty much his entire run. is like, I'm rich. I'm wealthy. I, he's genial. I don't know if he's a nice guy. But he's a genial guy. And he's high. He's just smoking the entire time. And he's just like, he's the Martha Stewart of the X-Men universe. That's what it is. And I'm sure he's got some SEC violation we're gonna find out about eventually. And it'll be some white collar time. And you know, but that that's him, you know.
0: He's driving away from the welfare office in his Rolls Royce, noticing the people in line for food and thinking, man, the world's just not fair for guys like me. They wouldn't even give me the money. (laughs) But he's completely unaware of his surroundings.
3: (laughs) I am uh, fascinated with the place that Warren occupies within the mutant metaphor, um, which isn't always capitalized on anymore, but that's kind of why I, I like some of the pre-Dark Angel stuff. Sorry, the pre-Archangel stuff, they rhyme. Um, but like Warren is the like in many ways the most privileged possible of mutants, right? Like he's white, he's like an Aryan stereotype in many ways. He's got angelic wings. He's like ashamed of them, and he's like, "Oh, I'm such a freakish mutant, but it's like you look like a biblical angel in every way. You're gorgeous, you're muscular, you're wealthy. So he's he's a very privileged and very like normative form of mutant presentation in so many ways. And I think that his wealth is a great like catch up on that. i don't I don't know necessarily whether Stanley or Jack Kirby were thinking about this when they created the character, but it works perfectly with the kind of mutant that he is, and it always has. But Archangel, for me, introduces such an interesting thing, because his body becomes fluid. Uh, his temperament and the way he presents himself and the way he feels becomes extremely violently fluid at that time. And he's so ashamed of his desires, his impulses, the body that he can't seem to get rid of, though he tries ripping it bloodily out of him several times. And, I mean, for me, that it, it reads as a trans metaphor, uh, but one that's muddled by the fact that the body that he loves is... His Aryan-like rich privileged self—it's—it's it's, the body that he's assigned by Apocalypse is the ones that he hates, and I think that works really interesting with the mutant metaphor. But of course, the body that he's most comfortable in is going to be the one that is also the one that gets in the least hatred from humankind, and its relation and changes with his body that are often outside of his control. Within a mutant metaphor, if we're going to try to hold him to it,
0: yeah my uh my partner and i my my husband and i recently hosted a party a group of friends came over and watched barbarella if you guys have seen it and during <laughs> yeah. Bar- during barbarella she's on this crazy jane fonda she's on this this space planet and she meets a blind angel named pygar who is blonde and blue-eyed and flies and kind of represents hope and the people attack him and start ripping out his feathers but she's got a Find him and save him and he represents hope once again and I, it dawned on me uh this movie was made in 1968 which is just a few years after the x-men debuted there there seems to be kind of this cultural understanding of this angel as the again the blonde blue-eyed uh Aryan version of what hope looks like uh and i i think we see a lot of storylines uh about warren over the years that that uh mark on that theme Um, the, uh, whenever Archangel leaves, he's left with this kind of messianic biblical version of himself. Uh, we'll talk about the, the healing powers he even gets at times. Uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing when you consider the, the biblical nature of that and what it represents. Any other thoughts on what Angel represents to the X-Men? Besides the money, besides the money.
5: Well, one thing related kind of to his money that makes them a little more interesting is A lot of the other original X-Men, like, had a reason to need the X-Men in a more, like, urgent way, like, being an orphan or Jean needing help controlling her powers. Warren already had a way to hide his powers, and he has a lot of choices in his life beyond joining this vigilante group of mutants. And just kind of thinking about it, I never thought about it before. I was reading all these stories about him, but I was like, this is not a life that he has to choose. Like he very easily can leave it behind and just be like this rich, popular angel guy in like pop culture or, you know, society in general. And it kind of gave me a different respect for him as a person that like, he doesn't have to do this life. You know, he doesn't have to be in these dangerous situations. He doesn't have to have his wings ripped off a million times by somebody every other day. Um, and so it's just kind of, you know, he he has all of those options because of his privilege, but for whatever reason, he's chosen, like this path of being a hero, even though it's harder.
4: You know, Noel, I, I really like that reading. I, I'm, I think I'm a little less charitable because it feels like it's a way to legitimize his difference. Like he's looking for a way to say, I am different with these wings, but how do I, how do I make it okay because I can't keep my wings hidden forever. And somebody's going to leak it and he's rich and the tabloids and all that. And I also think about his variation in the age of apocalypse when he's running, um, the bar, what is it? What is it called? Haven? Heaven? I believe, it's, I've I believe it's yeah. Haven. If I'm remembering right. Haven, Yeah. Um, and, and thinking about sort of that neutral good he's sort of leaning into. Um, but you like, but if you were really a hero, you would either become an out villain or you would have been a hero in this universe as well. And I feel like that that Age of Apocalypse variation just leans into the fact that he just wants to be validated in some capacity um, with his wealth and privilege, whatever form that may take.
2: Well, uh, also, I, I do think, uh, so something that's interesting as far as like his relationship to money, and especially what you're talking about in Age of Apocalypse, um, uh, I think also a fairly big part of his characterization is that he's kind of passive. Like he's just things kind of happen to him and he doesn't like, he's always a path of re- least resistance kind of guy. Cause if you want to look, he's spent a lot of time bankrolling X-Men stuff. He spent a lot of his history being the kind of money whenever Charles isn't, um, until you get to the, um, after Emma Frost's sort of, uh, becomes more of a presence uh, among the X-Men and their relationship to bankrolling um, bankrolling things is wildly different because he just does it. He just like sort of hands over money um, and says, please don't bother me anymore. Uh, Emma says, here is money and here are my, like here are the strings attached to that money, uh, which I think is an interesting differentiation uh, between two ways of kind of being the, um, I don't know the the bankroller of the of the superhero team.
0: Well, and Emma had to do a lot of dirty shit to get her money, and 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 uh, yeah. and he just inherited his right. Um, well, he also bankrolled the champions and the defenders, and his house in the Colorado Rockies has been the base for the defenders and X-Force. I mean, yeah, he he's bankrolled a lot of things. Um, I'm really stuck by the Claremont version of Angel, where the Morlocks, who are the underground society, uh, the rejects, the people left aside, Callisto seizes Angel as the ideal and then pins him to the wall, Right. That's a pre X factor. We get this uh, this incredible imagery from that storyline that uh, that Claremont really picked up on. That's that's so smart that that's a shocking, jarring image. If you go back and read uh, that issue where the Morlocks get in Um, uh, interesting thoughts. Any any other thoughts on this section? Let's talk uh, Let's talk about his relationships for just a minute, and I'm gonna recount this very briefly. Uh, over the years, Angel's been described as the character who gave the most hope to the team, a man who uses his powers and riches for good. He's been a member of multiple incarnations of the X-Men and X-Force, uh, as well as X-Factor, the Exterminators, X-Corp, the Champions, the Defenders, the Sleepers, X-Club, the Renegades, X-Men Blue, the Horsemen of Salvation, the Hellfire Club, the Mutants San Fronteras, Clan Akaba, the Secret Defenders, the Renegades, and the Four Horsemen of Apocalypse. This guy's been around a while and he gets used a lot. Uh, he's also been romantically interested in Gene Gray and romantically connected to Candy Southern, X23. Husk in an infamous Chuck Austin storyline, uh, and Psylocke primarily, although I suppose Amanda Cobb and Dazzler warrant a mention. Uh, what team do you like Angel on best, and what romantic partner of his is your favorite?
3: I'll go first because mine is very boring since I know so little of like Angel's good stuff, or at least what people assure me is the good stuff. So I like Angel best on X-Factor because Walt Simonson draws him. <laughs> And that's absolutely fantastic. I like his characterization a lot. And I love Candy Southern. Like, just incredible. I think I don't need to tell anybody here about Candy Southern. I don't need to tell anybody who's listened to Cerebro about Candy Southern. But um, just a fantastic character, a fantastic foil for Warren. And makes Warren more interesting just by being in the room.
1: Yeah, (laughs) she does. She sure does. The Candy Southern episode of Cerebro definitely was fun to record because both Connor and I were like so obsessed with her just from her early days. She's so amazing. And then, like I said, I think that she's the thing that kind of gives him depth half the time because it's like, as you were saying, he kind of doesn't, he kind of is wishy washy. He's like all over the place. He's like, I guess I'm a superhero because it's what gets me attention and like all of this. Candy was the person who was like yeah but you're gonna be like you're gonna donate that money like that's kind of I think what he needs um his obsession with Jean Grey is always weird because you can tell it's just it's it. with Jean the people who like Jean it's like it's always more about the guys than it is about Jean it's like Angel being like yeah, I guess I like Jean or whatever. And Scott's like, oh no. And then like, they're both like really worried about each other, but Jean's just kind of like, why doesn't anybody ever actually ask me out? Like, this is weird. So I think that, yeah, and it's the same with like Wolverine and Cyclops. It's always like that with her. So that's always a weird one for me. I'm gonna let everybody else talk about Husk. I don't need to talk about Husk. I think that that's weird.
2: Um, He gets a lot of hate for like, for the husk thing, when I'm just gonna say she acts like a maniac through that whole series. I like she's she's not a good time there, and I'm a husk stan. Yeah,
1: but, I love her but, in Gen X. Right, she's oh, really good yeah. in the early days. And I it's love like-
2: my southern gal, but like, <laughs> holy god, she's insufferable during the like all of the that
0: run. We learned. Uh, we learned during Jason Aaron's run on Wolverine and the X Men, she can get mentally unstable and make bad choices as she dated the janitor Toad for a while. Uh, Maybe she went a little nuts during that Austin run. But for our listeners who haven't read that, Angel is a grown up, and Husk is like barely out of being a teen. And there's a a, a bunch of uncomfortable scenes with the two of them dating, including one where they go to her family home, have a fight, make up, and then they're flying in the sky, and clothes start falling off, and her mom's standing there. Like there's some uh, there's some weird (laughs) moments across
5: (laughs) it that are uncomfortable. (laughs) It's
3: so bad. It's truly
0: so
2: bad.
3: Angel like knew Sam Guthrie when Sam Guthrie was like seventeen, and Angel was like an accountant working at a firm or something like that. Graduated, so I'm like every time I think about that, I'm, like, am hey, is his little sister." I know the sliding time scale; it doesn't work. It does not work.
1: It's really oh. upsetting. <laughs> I think that the easiest thing to say is, "Wow, wow." <laughs>
4: just saying, go ahead. Oh, no, i just gonna say, I think that just. Just just for me, that age difference is not... And I think it just points to Warren making bad decisions. Like, just left to his own devices, he will make the worst legal decisions that he can. Yes. Because I think that's the one thing about Warren, is, is like, he's lawful, but, like... But once dude, again, why? he's just
2: no. so passive, and she, like, like, in the run, she's this unstable child throwing herself at him, and he just, like lets it happens and goes guess
3: how fuck the kid like one <laughs> to his own devices is a danger and then if he's not left to his own devices he's to like apocalypses <laughs> For yeah. like you can get an adult in the room no, that was candy
1: right that was it that was like the one where it yeah. was like like keep her around because like this guy is out of control she's not around
0: uh as far as uh what team i like them uh what like him best on craig kyle and christios x force run is fantastic with him Uh, i also think he's amazing in the uh, uncanny x force run i referenced earlier we'll cover both of those today um i also dislike angel with x23 that was the teen version of him in the future it was not a good pairing it did not work uh and i think future writers tried to make it work for a minute and it it still didn't work so they broke up of course uh, I keep waiting for the two of them to interact on Krakoa. Now that Angel has all his memories back, <laughs> just, I just want to see Laura just completely disregard him. Uh, Noel, do you have a favorite love interest for Angel? I I don't
5: I don't know. I have a weird. I like I don't like that the women in his lives have to be the grown ups in the situation. So I kind of don't like him with anyone for that reason. Um, when and I feel like. My mind was warped when I was a kid and I saw him with Betsy. Cause for a while I was like, that just seemed like normal to me and I liked it. And then I got older and reread. I was like, I don't actually like this at all. Um, yeah, I think he needs to grow up and then maybe try again, be an adult, an equal adult in the relationship.
0: His relationship with Psylocke is interesting. And again, this is more for our longer, our, our readers who have read more modern comics, But uh, Betsy is Psylocke, who is a white British woman occupying the body of an Asian woman. uh, And Warren is with them for a period of time. They seem kind of drawn to each other because they're both very broken people who don't have anyone else. But he is uh, effectively having sex with a woman who's occupying another woman's body. And there is something about the lack of consent on the part of canon part uh, that I think people uh, get concerned about uh we did not put that in the trial obviously but yeah they seem uh they seem to be a pair drawn together by desperation uh, and loneliness yeah
2: i i like them together but it's it's they're super doomed as a couple uh cuz they're not like they're not healthy they it's two drowning people clinging to each other as life rafts that's the reason i like that's she's my favorite of his uh love interests mm-hmm. uh but it's not cuz it's a good situation <laughs>
4: Oh, that's so funny because there, there's there runs where I really like And the consent thing is a big thing, but I think that's a much more yeah, recent thing the because deal, the, yeah. the traditional thing was that Betsy's body was rebuilt in this way, like she, like the fact that she was occupying somebody else's body, some more recent things. So we've got. A, I agree, and reading it at the time, it was a very different read of the story.
0: Yeah, but it's superhero I, ethics.
4: <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, for me, I, I, you know, Bradley, I really like them because they are broken, I think, in very similar ways. Like, they're in bodies that aren't their own, that right? That were built for them. And that, to me, that dynamic, I actually really like, because I don't know who else talks to them in that way, right? I mean, Brian is not mm. talking to his sister, uh, right? Captain uh, Britain is not talking to his sister mm. that way. Warren's got nobody else to talk to. And, and that's, for me, that's why I like that relationship. Mm. Uh, I'm also more upbeat about the teenage angel and uh, X-23 relationship, not because I think it works, I think it's bad, but I think the badness actually makes for some really interesting storytelling uh, that, I, that I really liked. I think about the Paris story where they're, like, breaking up as Laura's fighting, you know, basically getting burned all over. And I'm like, this is, like, the best way to do a breakup is, like, mm-hmm. Laura's getting beaten up and I'm breaking up with you, Warren. And it's like, okay, that's how you do it. <laughs> well, there's some There's some good stories told. Absolutely. Um, actually,
2: yeah, I love the young X-Men uh, brought into the present stories. Like, I, I liked most of that.
0: It went on for too I long. I think it's, I it think it's some of the
2: best that a lot of them were characterized uh, for a while. Like, it, it was, at that point, the best Gene had been in a, a very, very long time. It's great Cyclops. It's the reason we have modern Iceman. It doesn't get enough credit. A lot of people... A lot of people <laughs> have feelings about it, but I think it's great characterization for a lot of them.
0: I uh, I was thinking a moment ago uh, when I wrote this up, at least, uh, all of the original X-Men were hiding something. Uh, Xavier had a shit ton of secrets, of course, but Jean and Cyclops were hiding their traumatic childhoods. Bobby was hiding being gay. Angel was literally hiding his wings, strapping them down. Uh, and Beast was hiding what a colossal asshole he would be later in life. <laughs> Um, Let's move to the last section here just about Angel's powers. Uh, For years, Angel was considered the weakest X-Man capable only of flight, uh, and he used a gas gun or light weakens at times as weapons in combat. However, he's amazing in aerial combat. Uh, He's good for rushing at the bad guys and swooping in for rescues, but without super strength or a healing factor, his punches only go so far. Angel soon developed greater abilities, which may be related to a secondary mutation, but he's also been changed by the Black Vortex and the Celestial Seed, uh, the, the Life and Death Seeds both. So it's difficult to know exactly which of these are upgrades from different sources or which are connected to his actual mutation. As Archangel, he received blue skin and razor sharp, deadly wings that are organic and attached to him that can fire razor feathers laced with neurotoxins. They're called fleshettes. Uh, For the last few decades, Warren has gone back and forth between these blue and white forms, between his feathered wings and his razor wings, uh, both equal parts of his mutation, but he also has some strange transformations along the way, the light side versus the dark side, which we'll get into a lot today. Uh, after he passed through the Black Vortex, he also had wings of cosmic fire, which were actually kind of cool, actually. They were they were pretty neat. Uh, and for a time, he had glowing wings and hair and seeming psychic abilities with which he could heal injuries in others. Then for a while, he realized his blood could heal other people if he just bled on them or gave them some of his blood. And at least in one instance, he had a hypersonic scream that could result in uh, internal bleeding. So uh, there's been some inconsistencies with his mutation, but overall, we got the flight side related to the angel and archangel sides any thoughts on angels mutations or superpowers
1: i'm like don't forget the one time that he talks to birds because that happens in the defenders (laughs) so you have to there's a one time where he's like i spoke with an eagle and they're just like i always felt like
0: i always felt like that was moon dragon messing with him so i didn't include (laughs) that there
1: i mean
3: or or (laughs) it's the vision of a falcon
2: <laughs> the answer is obvious and it's that he's a bird brain.
3: Yeah. Uh other thoughts on his powers? Um I, I Oh, you go ahead.
1: No, please you.
3: <laughs> I, I think his powers are hilarious because they're just flapping big bird wings and like his his special ability. He said he's like really great in combat and his special ability is to dodge. I know people have made very much of this. exploit the X-Men has done a lot of talking about that and it's a great joke, but it's also like 100% true. He's so good at dodging. He's, he's so good at dodging that sometimes it kills his opponents. <laughs> But like yeah. he's just a he's a character who's just so funny to me. When people look at him and they're they're like, "You're a figure of hope, Warren. Like you know your wings and everything. You look like an angel." And I'm always like, "He looks like a bird. Like he looks like a bird. Birds are great and birds are often symbols of hope. But everybody looks at him in season angel. Birds are assholes."
2: <laughs>
4: You know, at some point, I remember reading, and I was trying to look this up, I couldn't find it, but at some point, wasn't he described as having hollow bones like Ooh. a bird? So he, he was, right? And, and I'm like yeah. That seems like really bad thing to have in combat, to have hollow bones without a healing factor. It's like, maybe not so much. You think he would just have
0: constant broken ribs.
4: Right, like, it's just like he'd be in a, in a body cast all the time, right? But um... I was really taken... Sorry, Sarah. Sorry.
1: No, please. I thought that you had completed your thought. Please
4: go ahead. That, I had completed a thought, and then another thought came into my head, you know, <laughs> flighty like a bird. We're just, I'm, I'm modeling Warren behavior at the moment. Uh, uh, and I was just thinking about the, the blood healing, which came in, which I'm glad it did, but I'm thinking, you know, how close that was to sort of the unofficial end of the legacy virus, right? And thinking about, as we're recording this, we're about four, day, we're about four days, five days, from uh, uh, Blood Donation Day here in the United States. And, you know, there's the whole thing about whether um, gay people can continue to, can give blood, right? And thinking about how interesting it is that, you know, blood is being a sign of taintedness, disease carrying, and all of a sudden his blood becomes healing. And so just a deep thought, as I said, bird brain just going there, but I just, when we talked about the blood healing, I, and I'm glad they left it. I, I, I don't think they, I don't think anybody's thought it through, but it's just on my mind.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I was going to say how much I hate the healing powers, but now I'm like, oh, maybe there's something to it that I like actually wasn't really thinking of, which is strange because I've written about I was just writing about blood donor day um pretty recently and the effects that it has had on, you know, queer communities. But I was also just kind of like is there with Angel, I think sometimes it, like that that joke of like so he can dodge is kind of like yeah then they're like okay well we gotta soup up his powers and in some cases like i don't know there's been times where i was averse to souping up powers but usually it kind of clicks with me like i think that emma's new or like secondary mutation was really interesting because of the way that it happens right and kind of Mm -hmm. what it reflects in her but then with angel i'm usually like you're just adding things that are angel-ish you know or whatever so i always kind of get irritated i guess because i'm like just let him let him be who (laughs) let him have this one basic power that's basic you know like it's fine but yeah
3: if it's just
0: fine um any other thoughts on angel superpowers I don't remember the specific issue, but there's uh, there's one issue of Kurt Busiek writing the Thunderbolts where Angel guests uh, for an issue because they need the best flyer. And it shows <laughs> him kind of aerially dodging these missiles in the air and like being really super impressive. And it was almost as a Busiek saying, like, this is what makes the Angel special. Nobody flies like this. Nobody <laughs> okay. nobody else can do this guy's thing. Uh, but it literally was his power was to dodge. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what talking about he had to dodge all the stuff you he, he would have hit otherwise. Uh, fantastic. Lots of thoughts on this. Um, I wanted to reference a minute ago, uh, For it, it is not yet debuted, but uh, will before this podcast is released. Uh, Sarah and uh, Connor Goldsmith and I recently interviewed uh, Analyst Bisa. Uh, and during that, uh, Sarah and Connor went off about Candy Southern for a minute. And we referenced the uh, Marvel appendix, which is a website I used to write for. And we talked about how I actually wrote the Candy Southern entry on that site when I was back in college and Connor going, Oh my God, I've read that. And I used it for my podcast. It was a, it was a fun moment uh, to connect over Candy. Uh, Sarah, give us the 60 second version of uh, who Candy Southern is and why people should love her.
1: Candy Southern is a fellow rich kid from wherever they were from. They were, they're were they from New York and she's raised in the suburbs with him. Candy comes about around I think issue either 30 something or 60 something. <laughs> the original no, it's, uh, it's, like,
0: it's like 22. Uh,
1: it's pretty early on. <laughs> I'm very off. So yeah, Roy Thomas introduces this character and Basically, we had been in this um, like love triangle for a million years between Gene, Warren, Scott, and it got really boring, honestly. So at a certain point, the writers had to move on. And so we had Candy Southern pop in to be this girl who's around and like fun, like Warren's fun, and kind of allows him to step into being a different character. Because thus far, we had just seen only everybody insular in this like private school environment. So now we have Candy, and she's kind of linking us to who Warren is outside of the X-Men, essentially, because this is somebody that he's been friends with since he was a little kid. And she eventually is killed by his uh, talented Mr. Ripley, um, Cameron Hodge. But she comes back very briefly in, uh, I think, Uncanny X-Men 306 and has kind of a, a moment, I guess. Kind of like a, the phalanx. I'll get the last word. Yeah, she's, she's merged with the phalanx. Uh, I definitely talked with Connor for four plus hours about this. So if you want to hear more about Candy Southern, you want to listen to the Cerebro episode, But she very temporarily, but was the leader of the Defenders, which I still refer to as one of, before Young Avengers, the gayest superhero team at Marvel. So Uh that's something. And they also made a choice to put her in charge because it was like Beast, Iceman, Angel. And they were like, we're children. We can't do anything. And she was like, "Okay, I guess I'll be the leader. So Candy is basically just multi-talented, beautiful, funny, splendid, everything we could ever want in a person if she was a real person i would be hanging out with her every single day uh what what else can i say about candy other than she's the greatest fictional character ever created
0: (laughs) we have had a love affair on the podcast with vera and zelda and candy uh all and we'll get back to them sometime but yes we love that character
1: uh yeah
0: Um, she she has been
1: deceased for a very long time so we're we're working on getting her back just by our sheer love of this character basically
0: there's so many ways to do it. She was a scroll. they go back in time. She was a latent mutant and they resurrect her on Krakoa. There's, there's <laughs> a million Uh Any other thoughts on the angel uh, or, or just kind of interesting tidbits before we jump into the trial section? I always love these conversations because I feel like I leave them with a different understanding of who the character is. And the most dramatic shift for me on the pod was the, the uh, Juggernaut trial where I walked in like, this guy's a colossal asshole and I left it thinking, oh, this is like a heroic character that I love and adore now. Uh, and it's it's such a vast shift, but we've recently done the blob in Toad Trials where again, I leave with like a huh, okay. And I'm already getting that sense with Angel a little bit. Um, any final thoughts before we shift to uh, the jury? Okay, so with this, we're going to go ahead and jump into our trial section. Uh, each person here has been assigned a prosecution and a defense. I have reviewed Angel's history, and this is one case where in a lot of trials, I have to cherry pick different things and kind of clump them together like we did with Blob and Toad. In this case, we kind of move through Angel's life chronologically because the last decades of his publication have all been related to Archangel. So we're not going to cover everything here, obviously, but we're going to cover the major sections of kind of his angel versus archangel nature. One of the questions that I know is going to come up as we are listening to prosecutions and defense is how complicit is angel in his archangel persona? Is it something that is pre-programmed, something that comes from apocalypse or the celestial seeds, which we'll talk about, or is he in, uh, in complete control, but just has to deny that nature. Uh, So that's going to be an interesting conversation we can have today. So we're going to begin by reminding everybody of the voting scale Uh, after each section, each of our jury members and myself will be voting one through five. Uh, One means uh, the lowest score possible that he had a justifiable action, two is morally concerning, three is definitely inappropriate, four is over the line into criminal behavior and five is pure evil, Uh, not greatly named, but it's what we've been using, so we'll stick with it. So at the end, we'll take a final score and uh, determine how complicit Angel has been in co- in comparison to other characters. Uh, we've, we've been calling out the asshole scale. We'll see how much of an asshole he is when we uh, take the final score. OK, so trial point one, we are calling Horseman of Apocalypse. Uh, when we get there, it will be Hussein on prosecution and Noel on defense. Okay. At his weakest moment, when his wings had been amputated, his reputation destroyed and his fortune lost, all due to the machinations of Cameron Hodge, Warren was taken by apocalypse and transformed into the deadly archangel via use of a powerful celestial death seed. And I'll interject here quickly. The celestials are a race of space gods that have uh, basically been manipulating life on Earth since its inception, resulting in superhumans. Uh, They are all about judgment, who is worthy. Apocalypse serves them for a long time. So this Death Seed is an artifact that can release someone's darker nature and give them vastly enhanced versions of their powers. Uh, And it seems to last lifelong. Uh, And there's another side of it called the Life Seed, which we'll get to later, which has the opposite effect uh, and again, we'll, we'll talk about what those mean, but that's what we're talking about. The celestial death seed, when you read the original storyline in X-Factor is not part of the story. That's retroactively added by Remender much later. Anyway, Warren is transferred, uh, transformed into the deadly archangel. His white skin turns into a light blue and his feathered wings turn razor sharp uh, that seemingly have a mind of their own and which are capable of firing metal feathers that were dipped in a neurotoxin. Calling himself death or the angel of death Warren savagely defeats the three other horsemen of apocalypse, famine, pestilence, and war, so that he can become their new leader. Then uh, he was unleashed on New York City, sent to call the weak from the strong. Warren fought his former teammates out of control until he slashed through an ice construct in the shape of Iceman. Believing his friend dead, Warren got back in control of himself. But he immediately went after Cameron Hodge, who had kidnapped and killed Candy Southern, and Warren decapitated Hodge, who of course survived because of alien technology, but we did not know that at the time. Uh, let, me, uh, let me recount, this was all in X Factor Volume 1, Numbers 19, 23 through 25, and 34 and 35. Let me turn it over to Hussain for the prosecution
4: all righty just one uh two points before i start the presentation. one uh as chad said i'm not going to talk about celestial seeds facts not in evidence it's not part of the stories so i'm not going to talk about it and the other one is does cameron survive because of alien technology or because of the demons i thought it was demon love that, that let him
0: live oh it's it's first the demons and then it's the phalanx stuff. and then it's, it's,
4: it's this phalanx yeah. stuff right yeah okay uh, that phalanx, Cameron, is just freaky. Okay, but again, we're not there yet. Okay. Yeah,
0: the demons so, of Limbo and then uh, the
4: phalanx. Uh, phalanx. Um, so we start with um, seeing Apocalypse having created three out of the four horsemen of the Apocalypse. So we've got famine, pestilence, and war. They're going out and doing their thing, and we see that he's creating his fourth horseman death. At this point, we do not know it is war. Um, this is, you know, the, the big secret. And our big clue is uh, the, this figure. Apocalypse is talking to this figure of the shadows. And this figure says, I will never serve you. Um, I'll never do what you say. And then Apocalypse says to him, but I'll give you your wings back. And this character who we then assume to be Warren says, my wings, my precious. And it's a very a golem esque uh, you know, sort of thing. And that's where you realize, uh, in my mind, and it's when with the asshole scale here, I'm gonna go. You you realize Warren's total assholery, where he's just like, I need something to make me special. Being rich and being beautiful is not special enough. I need my wings. So give me my wings. And you know, in this, Warren then uh, is becoming really uh, an active agent in choosing to be um, a servant of Apocalypse and doing what Apocalypse wants. And so he gets transformed. He gets these metal wings that have this, that shoot these flechettes with this neurotoxin on them. And uh, he's battling his, his friends from the uh, X-Men or the, the, the X-Men thought they were his friends. And Bobby gets this idea, I'll put up an ice sculpture and Warren will kill me and that will snap him out of it. And sure enough, it does. But you got to think, Warren, what is going through your head that you decided to kill first and ask questions later? Like, you must have been okay with this to go ahead and kill this thing you thought was Bobby first, so, like pulling up in the last minute and saying, I can't kill my friend. And then at the end of that, Warren's like, thank you for snapping me out of it. And you all still suck for thinking I was dead. It was like, we saw you blow up, dude. Like, Professor X has died three times. We believed it every single time. Why wouldn't we believe it the first time you died, you know? Uh, And so it just feels like Warren grew up with them. He knows all this background. He knows all this history. And he still wants to be the special person who... The normal rules don't apply to, and he wants to do whatever he wants, and the blue skin just gives him permission to do it. And this continues, uh, you know, uh, in the middle somewhere, he's fighting the three other uh, horsemen for the leadership role. And again, he, this is the smartest I've ever seen. Warren, he's like, "War, you need your exoskeleton. I will attack your exoskeleton and pestilence. You need to touch me. I'm not going to let you touch me." And you know, there's he's really smart and strategic in almost cyclops level ways. Um, that I find really impressive, but show that he's really got his his faculties about him, right? He's not under Apocalypse's control because that defeats Apocalypse's purpose and mission, which is to create these sort of uh, mutants who are these awesome super beings. And then finally, we get to the point where he decapitates Cameron Hodge. And it feels like he has a choice to kill Hodge at this point or not, because Hodge says basically, I will be a turtle. This is the Darth Vader Obi-Wan moment where I will become stronger in the force than uh, you will ever know type thing. And I know I'm paraphrasing here. Somebody's going to hurt me for misquoting Obi-Wan in this. Uh, But, uh, you know, it feels like if you kill me, I will become immortal. And Warren's like, yeah, okay, prove it. And then proceeds to kill him. It's like, you just wanted to kill the guy. You know, you, you, you were smart for a moment and then you're like, no, I want to kill. I've got wings that kill. I'll blame it on the wings. It's all good." I can, I can remove culpability for myself. And so this is Warren just looking for an excuse to do whatever he wants without consequences as he's used to doing, but now in a new force and he's out to just kill people and say, it's all the wings, it's all the wings. And, you know, it feels to me like Warren, it we're coming to this moment where Warren is confronting Cameron, but it feels like Warren had so many points to know what Cameron was doing and chose not to. It's like, Cameron loves you. He's loved you since you were little boys together. Like you chose to ignore that and manipulate him and, and use him. And then Cameron says, I can't be special like you. I'm old money and you're new money because you're only hundred. your money's only 150 years old, but now you have these wings. So now you think you're better than me. You're homo superior. And uh, Warren's like choosing not to see that. And you're like, Warren, like he's not gonna follow you. Like you can stop manipulating him. And for me, at the end of the day, this is all about capitalism run amok. It's about Cameron and Warren wanting to extract resources from other peoples and not being able to get it the way they want. And so capitalism just eats itself. That's the metaphor for me. They're both assholes in this, but Warren is a five.
0: Fantastic. Uh, capitalism run amok can be the title of your next book. <laughs> uh, let me turn it over to Noel.
5: I can't believe you're gonna make me the defense for capitalism in defending <laughs> Warren. That, is, that was a low blow, okay. But I'm all in on this defense, so let's go. Um, after an immense amount of trauma, he has his wings mutilated and amputated against his will. Warren does agree to Apocalypse's offer. Um, why would he do this? It is Apocalypse. Um, because his wings were his power and his identity. His code name is Angel. Ah, uh, they're the most visible symbol of his power, and he had the ability to fly. That's a big deal. Like that's what we all dream about, right? And so you have to imagine the loss that he felt in having his wings taken away. His identity, his power, his freedom, and his status as a hero. Because what is he without the wings? He might still be rich, but that wasn't his life. wasn't built around being rich. Um, so desperate people make desperate decisions. Apocalypse comes to him with an offer to get his wings back and he takes up the offer. Um, And then he goes through the genetic alterations and is then influenced by the drug that Apocalypse is using to control his horsemen. So that was not part of the deal that Warren made. Um, Most likely he believed he'd still be in control of himself and his choices and he underestimated the lengths that Apocalypse would go through to enslave him. Um, and being conned is not a crime, so we can't hold that against him. When he has the moment where he thinks that he's killed Bobby, we see the real warden come out again. He's kind of broken of the spell and the drug that was used on him. And he turns against Apocalypse and the other horsemen. So when we see the real Warren come back out, he's not like thinking he needs to be following Apocalypse's plan. He's not believing in it. Um, So we have to remember what he does when he gets all of his agency back. The only crime that might be possible to attribute to Warren is decapitating Cameron Hodge. But he is a mutant hating asshole who killed Candy Southern. So He deserved it. Killing heroes is just, or killing villains, excuse me, is part of the job as hero. So is it a crime? So, yeah, I don't think it's possible to convict Angel of any crimes here. He had everything taken from him and he made a bad decision, Um, but then he turned it back around and dealt with the villains. So in his heart, he was still a hero.
0: When the Green Goblin killed Gwen Stacy, Spider-Man went after him and then made the choice not to kill him. Uh, In this case, we have Angel uh, fallen from grace, obviously, who's made the literal deal with the devil, then later choosing to sink farther by, by committing the crime, which is something we would celebrate the Punisher or Wolverine for. But coming from Archangel, that's a really... Uh, a really surprising storyline. Uh, so thoughts on this section, and then let me hear uh, any questions from people who need some clarifying information before they make their vote. Bradley, go ahead. Uh, you're on You're on mute. You
2: My biggest go. thought is that every time Noelle says, uh, Warren comes out, a shiver runs up Iceman's spine. Uh, <laughs> uh, a hopeful shiver. Uh, yeah, I still think murder is wrong. And it's, uh, it's crazy that Iceman was aware enough to know, like, I'm gonna make this fake version of me. And he'll definitely try to kill it. That's a wild, that's a wild friendship you guys have there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> One question I have, when Warren attacks or when death attacks New York City on behalf of Apocalypse, did you guys get the sense that anyone died?
3: I think we're supposed to assume so, but like it doesn't seem like it, right? Like at just looking at it on the page.
4: And yeah, then... I thought there were much more uh clearer indications that like pestilence and famine had actually killed people more so than death had. And I thought that was a hedge to make sure that death doesn't come across as being a murderer. But so
0: we don't have any evidence <laughs> that anyone died except for Hodge. But yeah, his literal name is Death. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: We don't want the guy.
5: There's no body. There's no crime.
2: <laughs> well, it is like a. It's a matter of they don't want you know the the uh, kind of thing. You can't let that happen twice. Where uh, this character is now for editorially mandated unusable. Uh, you Indeed. need
0: uh go ahead, brother. What go ahead?
2: Oh, I was just saying you need plausible deniability, so later on you can still use them if you want.
0: <laughs> In the Buffy the Vampire Slayer universe, if you're bit by the vampire, your darker nature comes out because you lose your soul and become a different type of creature, right? And we see a lot of stories where you make those deals with the devil. Uh it's one thing to choose it, it's another to have it chosen for you, obviously. And I think we see a lot of apocalypse stories where people get upgrades into horsemen. Uh, perhaps not consenting as much. Um, but in this case, we have Warren choosing it at his time of greatest weakness. Uh, I guess my question for, for uh, Hussein and Noel, if you don't mind your thoughts on this, uh, is Warren in control or are his wings uh, something with a mind of their own at this point in his story?
4: Are you asking us prosecution or just having read the story? Uh, you can answer however you <laughs> <use this. laughs> So, so as the prosecution, there is no doubt in my mind that Warren has chosen this. And even if the Wings do have independent life, you've made a deal with the devil. You have to know their consequences to it. Um, having read this and several other arcs here and, and throughout, I do think they're more autonomous, but they're not as autonomous as Warren wants us to think. I
5: would say we have to think about who Apocalypse is. Um, He's not really one to not be absolutely in control. Why is he gonna go through all this trouble to make Warren his horseman of death and not use the wings as a factor of control?
0: Uh, I think this story is brilliant. And I think it's brilliant that Simonson had him kill Hodge at the end of it. I think it's a fantastic storyline. Are we ready to vote in this section? So a quick reminder of one through five, one being justifiable action, two morally concerning, three definitely inappropriate, four over the line into criminal behavior, five pure evil. Let's hear from Steve first.
3: I'm going to go with the two because my gut feeling is that it's entirely justifiable to murder Cameron Hodge in revenge for the death of Candy Southern and for all of his future crimes, which have yet to be committed. I have the hindsight of history, though. So I will say that given what Angel knows at the time that he does this I think it is morally concerning. I think this is a this is a period when X-Men or X-Factor members don't really kill uh generally speaking except for the times that they do which is you know that's just like a thing it happens sometimes. There's a Proteus whatever. But like this, I don't know, this is all stuff that I personally would consider extremely justifiable, except for maybe the deal with apocalypse that turns him into death. but he's making this essentially under duress, right? Like he's in so much pain, he's half out of his mind with anguish, both on you know like an emotional level and a physical level. It's very hard for me to fault him. so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the two as is morally concerning for sure. Sarah.
1: I'm going to echo that too. Yeah, I think it's morally concerning. And also there's a lot at play. For instance, just seeing Cameron, there's this whole sequence where, and I don't actually know if we're at that at this, whenever Candy dies, there's a whole sequence where Cameron is like standing over her and doing weird things to her as she's kind of comatose. And it's hard to not want that character to die after you see something like that. However, I will say that I didn't realize that there were drugs involved for some reason. I've read this story maybe like 20 times in my life, but this just goes to show I hear what I want to hear. So I was definitely just like, you know what? I just zipped right on past that. I will say that Apocalypse is a like, he's a cult figure essentially, right? He's somebody who is so charismatic. I don't blame people in cults for the things that they do in some ways, but I do also. So I gotta say that it's pretty much that same line that Warren's walking here where you kind of go, yeah, you were taken advantage of at like the worst moment of your life. So that is hard. And the fact that you were willing to kill Bobby, I mean, I wish that you had talked that out more on panel because <laughs> I think that that could have been a conversation that maybe would have made me understand the situation a little bit better. But on the other hand, It seems like everybody kind of knew that he was going through this stuff and they knew to make those adjustments. Now, once again, I think often enough, I'm saying that Warren, it's like, oh, but other people were around (laughs) to take responsibility for him. Um, I feel like that is a lot of times my defense of Warren and I got to like step back from that a little bit, but I'm going to say morally concerning for all of these reasons. There's just a lot of question marks around the situation. Like it's kind of hard to say what his level of involvement was and we do hate Cameron, you know, so that is kind of it's like if he had killed Bobby, it'd be like, no, that was the worst five, right? But he killed Cameron. So you're kind of like, uh, would I have killed Cameron? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't know.
0: Uh, Bradley.
2: <laughs> um, I'm going to go with uh, it's between three and four. I'll err on the side of kindness because I know what's coming later. Uh, <laughs> I'll say three, because he did choose to do this. Like, he chose it at a weak point, but he's still, like... He did still, like... How nice did you think this was going to come out and what else you'd seen from Apocalypse? Uh, so yeah, we'll go with a three.
0: I am going to give today a two as well. My understanding of this story, the worst thing he did here was make the deal with Apocalypse. When I read these stories... I kind of see the wings almost as like a multiple personality that he can't control. They kick in during times of stress or rage. Uh, It's also when he made that deal with Apocalypse, he was at his absolute lowest, having lost everything. We see characters who are stripped down to nothing and then have to rebuild. It's a brilliant storytelling uh, technique. Um, And uh, we had a discussion about that during the Quicksilver trial, when he hits his lowest, he does all these shitty things with the Inhumans and, and Luna. Uh, so it, it's interesting to consider the choices Angel made at his lowest. Uh, but I think, uh, I think two, uh, for today, uh, Hussain, what is your. My
2: la- oh, I, my last note is that I love stories where Angel is stripped down to nothing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hussein.
4: Um, so I think there's a lot of moral ambiguity in a lot of these actions. I think for me, it's gotta be a five because he actually does he does think he's killed bobby like he doesn't stop until after he's killed bobby that to me is what throws it and this is not prosecutorial it's like that to me is like you chose to do this this is on you and noel
5: i am torn between a one and a two i have a lot of empathy for where he was when he decided to go with apocalypse um but still it's just not somebody you make a deal with. So I think I'm gonna go through. Okay,
0: which gives us a score of 16 out of 30 on this section. And we will move on to a uh, trial point two. Uh, this time the prosecution will be Sarah and the defense will be Steve. We call this section simply Dark Side. As Archangel Warren struggled to control his dark side as he tried being a hero alongside X-Factor and later the X-Men, he was seduced by Shahar Azaf into battling his teammates. Then he returned to the Morlock tunnels and tried blaming his wings for those actions uh, and also blaming Apocalypse for all of his recent struggles with darkness. But Jean Grey was there to call him on his shit, uh, helping him realize it was his own repressed violent tendencies that were causing the problems. Soon after, Warren beheaded the mutant kamikaze in combat. Uh, Seemingly accidental, he said the wings were acting of their own accord. Kamikaze, by the way, is a terrible name. Don't, (laughs) this this is the only one we have to use for this character, but it's terrible. Warren later confronted Apocalypse with plans to torture and kill him. Uh, But after threatening that for a while, he ended up leaving Apocalypse behind to suffer even when Apocalypse begged for death. Uh, So these stories come primarily from Uncanny X-Men 285, uh and 303 x factor 85 uh uncanny x-men 296 and x force 18. so let me uh send that over to sarah for the prosecution
1: (laughs) people of the jury (laughs) angel what is his deal in this right because this is after so many things have happened we thought that he had reconciled we thought that he was over it like he just isn't. He's getting drawn all the way back in. Once again, we see somebody has a pretty face and he's gone, right? We have sh- Shaharazath. Is that how you say it? I it's think Shaharazath. So. Yeah, there's a lot of hyphens in this name, Shaharazath. Um, in the void or whatever, this is like a made up place kind of. So, yeah, he just kind of keeps blacking out a little bit and then like, oh, but I killed a bunch of people. How did that happen situation? This is hard to defend, even as somebody who really loves Angel, right? Like, this is a rough period. I think people didn't really know what to do with him at this time. So he's going off. He's killing people left and right. You go into, I mean, Jean, of course. Jean is like the one who's just kind of like, you know, I know a little something about dark sides and she decides that she's going to tell him that hey this was a little bit you now this is one of those times where you go gene you should listen to the things that you say sometimes <laughs> so, because like you and phoenix have like mm, all right that's a different episode I'll come back for that
5: episode.
1: (laughs) So the whole thing to me basically is just that like, this guy is out of control. He's killing people. He's killing people in this weird made up world, but they're insurgents. So it's like, that is morally questionable as being the richest person on the X-Men, right? Is like, you're out here, offing people who are kind of trying to uh the politics of this (laughs) like it's hard to get into the politics of Shaharazath and the void i don't totally understand what's happening but also he goes on to executioner song and in executioner song he kills again he kills kamikaze and he's like oh kamikaze just walked up i killed him i guess and okay best part of executioner song is boom boom being absolutely disgusted and mortified that somebody's head is like rolling around now the fact that that person's head is used as a comical joke is like i don't know about that either that scene <laughs> is going on trial as well but <laughs> this this whole thing is like all right kamikaze dies and he's just like this is after gene was just like it's your own violent tendencies and then he's just like well whoopsie doodle i killed again (laughs) and then he makes it to apocalypse who's the person who's supposed to die (laughs) and he's just like i just wanted to know that i could and then i didn't so whatever and then he walks off and apocalypse is just like kill me what are you doing so even apocalypse knows that he should have killed him this Ladies and gentlemen of the court and folks of the court, I just like, I don't quite understand what he's doing here. This guy is completely off the charts, doing all kinds of things that make absolutely no sense. And he kills a ton of people through this arc, probably more than we've ever seen him kill. So I'm going to say out (laughs) five, terrible, bad person, maybe four. All right, I'll give him a four.
0: You're not voting just yet. Uh, oh. <laughs> uh, and then we'll turn it over to Steve for the defense.
3: Sure. Ladies, ladies gentlemen, folks, gentle people of the jury, um, I wish that I had a well-articulated, long and eloquent plan for defending Angel in this. I think my colleague, Sarah Century, has laid out a beautiful pattern, a structure for what is happening here, but I actually think this is an open and shut case. Extremely simple. Were there crimes committed? Yes, many. Is there a question of culpability? Now, I think that's where this comes in. Yes, there's a lot of death in this. Like, absolutely, somebody must be held accountable for that. And sure, is the body that Angel is occupying committing these crimes? Absolutely. But, going back to what Chad said a little bit earlier, I do tend to think of the wings as sort of an altar for Angel. You know, they appeared to have a mind of their own outside of this comic, beyond this comic, in previous comics, and in later comics, I think a lot turns here on whether or not we believe Jean Grey. And I just don't. Like, (laughs) just before Jean Grey tells Angel this empowering and honestly beautiful speech, a really great dramatic monologue to Angel here, in which I think Jean Grey is projecting quite a lot because she thinks that this is a similar situation to her Phoenix situation. And honestly, if there's one thing Jean Grey loves to do, it is assume a lot about anybody she is talking to, because she's like, oh, I read mine. So, you know, obviously I know everything about you and don't worry, I'm just <laughs> gonna tell you that you're gay or that you're not culpable for these crimes or that you are. You know, that's that's great at all, but I don't think we can rely on Jean Grey, especially since just before this, we see in Shahrazad's kingdom, Angel is floating around with his eyes closed. That man is sleepwalking. Are we gonna really hold a man accountable for crimes committed while he was sleepwalking and his body was in control of metallic appendages? We can't always say that Dr. Octopus is completely in control. Sometimes the tentacles are in control. You know, not a great guy, not a great comparison I'm making, I say, as I realize that I'm comparing Dr. Octopus to Archangel right now. (laughs) However, I do think that there's a question. Are the wings sometimes in control of Angel? And do they act independently of his will? And I think that's very obvious from this story specifically. Jean Grey, love you, but you you are just throwing a lot out there into the wind today. And her... Unexpert testimony aside, I think the entire rest of Executioner's Song really drives that point home. That Angel wants so much to be on the side of good. He's fighting against a dark nature. Um, That dark nature sometimes takes control of him. And uh, I hate hate the name Kamikaze. I hate the whole concept of the character. I hate the pseudo-ironic, thinks-it's-too-clever-for-itself sneak attack joke just before his untimely death. Uh, that writer should go straight to jail. But <laughs> the facts are that we see it on panel. Warren is engaged in another battle. He's not paying attention to what's going on behind him. A person flies headfirst into what we know are razor sharp and independently moving wings from behind. I don't see any other way this could have gone. Warren could literally have never intended to hurt anybody, and somebody could have been like, "Hey, Warren," and he would turn around and whoop, there he goes, your head. I agree completely with Boom Boom's... yeah uh, barf! <laughs> yeah, it's really <laughs> gross, and the lettering is appropriately gross. Gorgeous. But, like, really, I don't know. Like, yes, Kamikaze's death needs to be answered for, but did he dive headfirst at a gigantic curtain full of razor-sharp blades? That's a real thing he did. And, like, I don't, I don't know. That doesn't seem like a murder to me by any circumstances. Lastly, and I I... I Shouldn't have to say this, but are we really going to hold somebody criminally accountable for choosing not to murder somebody, (laughs) even if they are the ultimate genocidal Satan from the future, (laughs) which of course Apocalypse is. But I, I have to say, I thought this showed moral fortitude in Warren, that he came with plans to torture and kill his abuser. And he said, no, you know what? It is more poetic that I let you sit with your sins and drive yourself to hell. I rest my case.
0: I feel like he is either blaming his wings because it's a convenient out, right? Or they have a mind of their own. Uh, In that case, I automatically think of the characters, Ghost Rider who has a literal demon possess him during times of stress, or more obviously Hulk. Bruce Banner, is he in control of this Hulk side of him that shows up during times of stress? So, I mean, Angel is a character that's constantly in combat situations, which I suppose brings up the question, are there combat rules here? Because the murder of Hodge was a decision, uh, kamikaze, they were in a, a, you know, a major combat zone or, or war being attacked. Uh, Do the rules change then? I don't know. Interesting thoughts. Uh, uh, anybody else who'd like to share thoughts or ask clarifying questions here? Okay, let's, uh, let's vote in this section. Uh, Hussain, you're first.
4: All right, I'm going to go this is probably uh, a 4 for me. I think if Warren had said Kamikaze, that's racist and then proceeded to kill him, I would have been much more forgiving. <laughs> uh, but otherwise he's just buying into the racism. And you know the fact that he chose not to kill Apocalypse for me just indicates that he's in control, and he's just using the to get away with murder.
0: That's a very interesting observation. If he's blaming the wings on acting on their own, he's then able to control them uh, with Apocalypse. That's that's an interesting
4: argument. Right, like if anybody deserves it, but the wings, if there's anybody the wings should be after, it should be Apocalypse. Uh, Noel.
5: Yeah, and that, that really throws what I'm thinking here. Cause I, I wanted to say, like, I feel like I have to mitigate all of these things. I do think that the wings have this element of control for him but he does seem to overcome it at times. Um, the Gene Grey projection was also very convincing. Um, so I'm gonna go three. It's just a lot happening.
0: Um, I, in this section, am going to vote three as well. I'm thinking of combat. I'm thinking of escalating concerns. I don't think the kamikaze was intentional in the way that the Hodge one was. And I, again, I don't think we can prosecute him for not killing Apocalypse. It just showed that darker side of him. Uh, Bradley. Uh,
2: I'm also going to go with a three because there's, there's just too many questions about um, culpabil- uh, culpability as it's related to the Wings uh, for me. Um, I just I don't really know the answer there. I think it's somewhere in between. Um, yeah, I'll go with a three uh sarah
1: all right well i'm gonna go with a four i guess but four is still pretty guilty right so i'm gonna go with a four so he's not at a five he's never he's not completely evil in this situation but because he is like sleepwalking a little bit there's all of these issues but i'm gonna go with four he's still pretty this is beyond morally concerning right
0: and steve
3: I am going to actually go with a three um, just because like, as I really think a lot of this is extremely justifiable. And I actually think it's a point that he doesn't kill Apocalypse, that the wings are in control because they were created by Apocalypse. So (laughs) I'm just going to say, like, I don't know if that's even a choice he makes. I like to believe it is. I really do. Uh, But I'm going to give it a three because I need justice for Kamikaze. Like it it can't go unanswered for. It doesn't feel right. (laughs)
0: Uh, so that gives us a score of 20 out of 30 in that section. Uh, I'm going to move on to trial point three, which we call X Force. Uh, on this one, Bradley is on the prosecution and Hussain on the defense. Uh, when Wolvesbane ripped off Warren's feathered wings and she had her own shit going on at the time, uh, his razor sharp wings regrew and he reverted back into his dark archangel persona. The Purifiers used Warren's DNA to mutate many mutate many of their followers into versions of archangel, deadly warriors called the Choir all with razor wings who were like genetic augmentations and Warren slaughtered these characters uh, in the Purifiers army by the dozens just slashing through them. Warren continued joining X-Force on missions that went very deadly. The teams were led by Wolverine and they slaughtered foes that were hellbent on destroying mutants. Uh, as he changed back and forth between Angel and Archangel. But his deadly nature was exposed to the X-Men during a mission where he had to save his friends. Archangel slaughtered many members of the Sapien League and many of the resurrected zombie mutants during the Necrotia event. And he sliced William Stryker, who had been uh, reanimated in half, uh, effectively killing him. Uh, X-Force, by the way, just to note, were all killing a lot of people in this series. There's a lot of bloodshed uh, by Warpath and Wolvesbane and Wolverine and others. Uh, Secondarily, the X-Men were, uh, mutants were an endangered species at the time. This is after M-Day and they're literally fighting for survival. I think those are things we need to note in this space. Uh, So let me turn it over to Bradley for the prosecution. Uh, You're on mute, Bradley.
2: Yeah, me. Yeah, what I will say for, for Angel is that there's plenty of blame to go around as far as X-Force is concerned. Uh, and that stays true. Uh, so I can empathize with, it truly is, uh, it's it's illustrated uh, beautifully as the scene where Wolf Bane um, rips off his wings and, and uh, like it, it feels very, It feels gory. It feels horrifying.
0: Um, Wolfsbane also eats her father during this arc.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's nasty. Uh, Wolfsbane stories stay questionable in this era. Um, But um, what I will say is like, so his, uh, the um, Archangel wings grow back after that. This is clearly a person like, and he has this kind of bloodlust after, uh, especially after going through and and killing all of the like angel clones. Um, Here's my issue with this, is this is as much on his friends as it is him, but he is the one committing actual murders. It's very clear that this is a person in need of some kind of help, in need of, of maybe not being on a superhero team right now. Uh, because I, I don't think he, I think he's in charge of uh, when he turns into Angel, especially later on, uh, you start seeing him very deliberately activate the, the like Archangel persona. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I think I blame everybody right around this time, but whose fault it is exactly sort of comes in second to that he does commit a lot of murders himself. And he does over and over again, choose to like activate the uh, Archangel persona. Uh, and that's, I don't know. I don't think that's morally questionable. <laughs> Just bad. <laughs> uh, also at some point, like, um, at some point we, I talked about this before. Um, Psylocke is the one to call him out on that. Like he's clearly like, uh, he's clearly lost, uh, lost his way and when Especially this era of silo is the one to tell you your shit is not together. Things have gone really awry uh you need to take uh five or six uh second looks at whatever at what's going on, but yeah, uh, he chooses to be a murderer over and over again,
0: <laughs> and then Hussein for
2: the
4: defense yeah i you know chad i'm I'm glad you mentioned well Spain because I feel like. Okay, now it's on the record and I can follow it as a defense attorney. You know, you've entered this, <laughs> this story. But I think part of the reason I really like this part of X-Force, and I say this as somebody who really likes the X-Men because I I and who generally dislikes Logan as Wolverine because I don't lean into the ultraviolence of the, the comics. But part of the reason I really like this season of X-Force is it feels like there is a hell of a lot of trauma that the mutant community has to deal with, right? Coming after M Day, it's trying to protect the 198. And Wolfsbane eats her father because she finds out he is her father. And, you know, basically he has been cursing her. He's a a priest in the church. He's been cursing her to hell and cursing her for being a mutant, right? And it feels like there's something cathartic about it. And I feel like we see something similar. Like, I feel like that's that's what was happening with all the characters in X-Force at this point, except for Wolverine, who just like really needs 150 years of therapy before he's allowed back into books. Um, But, you know, Warren is dealing with, all these things right i think this to me is where he's really dealing with losing his wings the first time and he's letting that grief and that anger come out and then seeing the choir using his wings and taking his name and dismerching him uh and the things that he'd worked for and i'm gonna i'm gonna be a little bit broader and deal with a lot of the places at the time you know the zombies aren't human in the Necrocia saga I, they're not human at that point they're zombies so I'm going to take them off the table. We don't, you know, they're just, we, we know it is okay to kill zombies. Like that's, a, that's just a given uh, categorically. Um, and so, you know, during this entire run, everything is, this is where he is most explicitly in control of killing these people. And at the same time, it feels like it is most clearly the justifiable it, the rules of combat and the rules of engagement that you mentioned before seem to come in because he's part of X-Force. And the entire reason for X-Force's existence is that there are people out there who are committed to genocide of your people and your job is to stop them before that genocide happens. And that, to me, just makes Warren's actions justifiable. Uh, you know, it's in ways that I don't think the killing of Cameron Hodge were, and I mean this not because I had to switch chats but I mean, this seriously, I mean, you know, I think killing Cameron Hodge is not defensible in the same way killing William Striker was at this point in history and the ways in which they're organized. So for me, all of this is he's operating under rules of engagement that the mutant nation has put together to prevent a genocide against their people. And so a lot of it is now whether you think those should have been the rules of engagement is a separate question, but he's operating under those rules of engagement. And so therefore he's he's not um, legally or morally
0: seems to be no question to me that he is in control of the wings at this point. He is willfully hiding them from his his teammates uh, and giving into the dark side at the very least or choosing to use them as a weapon. Uh, Any clarifying questions or comments on this section?
2: Yeah, I will say, like, if I'm not worried about being the prosecution here, I, this is one of the places where I think, like, His, uh, him being passive and just sort of like following along with what the rest of the team is doing is, is, uh, close to being very culpable. Uh, but I just, I think this team's existence sucks. Like, I, this, this team shouldn't exist. Storm's right. Uh, she stays right. Um, but yeah, I, he's just on the team doing what he's, what he was recruited for he's doing what cyclops asks and what wolverine asks and all this stuff uh it just it's
0: not good (laughs) i think this is a great series i think it's well done from front to back but it's certainly bloody and it does a lot of uncomfortable things with your favorite characters but it's a it's a pretty good ride uh any other thoughts or questions on this space before we vote all right let's go steve first
3: Uh okay, this, is, this is a hard one for me. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. The Black Ops Mutant teams always sit really poorly with me. Most X-Forces are a really complicated subject for me to touch, especially the current one. Um hmm, But... Hussein does make a really great point about this being a fight for literal survival at this point. The mutants are on the edge of extinction. A lot of the things that they do around this time I find a lot more justifiable than they would be in earlier points in history. But it's also when a lot of the best X-Men started making the worst decisions because of that extinction pressure on them. Beast became, Beast was, let's be clear, Beast has always been this person. It is not a new development. It has just slowly gotten worse over time. It was bad in the 90s too. But Beast starts becoming the worst person he could possibly be as a result of the pressure of extinction on him. Cyclops becomes maybe the best person he could be. These these are things that are true. Where Angel is in this is so difficult because he is such a follower, as Bradley says. Um, Angel will continue to be a person who is easy to be seduced into a cult or to follow the leader. And I think at this point he's very culpable because he's so in control of himself. He's so in control of his dark side. The dark side for him at this particular point feels like it's just what he's choosing to be and how he's choosing to outlet his powers. It's so difficult. Uh, I'm going to say this is definitely inappropriate. Um, It is certainly criminal by at least current laws in the country that I am from, <laughs> all the things that they do. So I guess four is a really apt designation. Although I would prefer to I would prefer to say that it is just inappropriate behavior since under the rules of engagement he is behaving as expected. So I, I guess ultimately I'll go with a three. This is a really difficult one.
0: Uh, it's going to be a four for me here. I feel like if we're using the combat thing, uh, someone fighting for a nation and willing to do dark and ugly things in order to protect the vulnerable people in their nation, right? These things happen. These types of things happen. Uh, and he was only killing threats, but these—this was wholesale slaughter. Heroes find a different way. Uh, they find a way to 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 hold people accountable uh, without slaughtering them. Um, and there were choices made here. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a great morally complicated read, but yeah, it's a four for me in this space. I think you still have to live with it, uh, Noelle.
5: I'm going to go four because it feels like he has this control in choosing to lean on Archangel to do these things. Sarah. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'm going to go maybe with three on this one. It's a
1: rough one for all of the reasons that everybody just said. Um, I Maybe just the whole book I put on a three, you know, like everybody is doing evil things. Archangel might not be the most evil, but he's pretty evil, you know. It is, yeah, X-Force three <laughs> in general.
2: Bradley. Very fair. <laughs> Um, I'm going to say, I was making sure I wasn't muted again. I, I'm going to, I think a charitable read is to give him at least a four and say that he is as in charge of his decisions as he will ever be, uh, and, and does choose to be on this team and he does choose to, uh, commit murders. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to say four. And I think that's being nice to him because the other option is one because he's a little baby who can't make up his own decisions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and Hussein,
4: I, I'm going to go three here just because I, I wish he could find another way, but recognizing the situation we're in, you got to do what you got to do sometimes, you know. And I think he's fully in control, but he he, he needed to do something, else, or exports needed to, to do something. Else. Uh, that gives us a score of 21 out of 30 in this
0: section. And I will take us to trial point four, which we call the Age of Archangel. Uh, After working with Wolverine and Psylocke to suppress his darker nature and embrace his heroic side, Warren participated in a mission in which Phantom X seemingly killed the child clone of Apocalypse. I should note prior to this, uh, Warren is now involved in a different version of X-Force that has kind of a similar mission, but it's a different title uh, and kind of a different premise. Uh, The Celestial Death Seed activated with Warren at this time, making him the heir of Apocalypse and would then kind of turn him into Apocalypse is kind of the the hints, it seems, uh, because someone has to be Apocalypse. And if Apocalypse isn't there, it's the guy with the Death Seed. Uh, X-Force became aware of this when Warren tried to kill a reporter. Uh, While the team traveled to the Age of Apocalypse to retrieve a Life Seed in order to cure Warren, Archangel allied with the genocidal Dark Beast and Clan Akaba, the servants of Apocalypse, and made plans to remake the world in his image. Archangel stole the life seed his team had acquired and used it to kill thousands of civilians, innocent people in a small town in Montana, uh, which then changed into a place called Tabula Rasa. Uh, a place that kind of exists outside of time, where creatures evolve at a super fast rate. Uh, a lot of teams have gone on adventures there over the years. Warren killed uh, Famine, his previous teammate, in order to recruit her child, Genocide, who was a very powerful mutant child uh, with massive powers, Um uh, he wanted genocide to, uh, uh and he, excuse me, he also allied with other mutants from the age of apocalypse who were evil before turning Psylocke into his own horseman death after massive fights that had a lot of casualties. I'm summing up a, a complicated storyline. Archangel was killed by Psylocke who then used a life seed and he was reborn as a new angel with a new identity, uh, feathered wings and no memory of his former life. Uh, So this is a story told through uh, in Uncanny X-Force number 10 through 18. Let me turn it over to Noelle for the prosecution.
5: Yeah, so this is where we really see the consequences of Warren's choice to agree to Apocalypse's deal back in the day. Um, And he's really leaning into his belief that he can control the Archangel side of him or use it. and you know, he goes to Psylocke for help in controlling it. So there is a question of how much his team is responsible for, uh, keeping him in that situation. But he, at some point says, I can handle it. I don't even need your help. Psylocke. Um, so this misguided belief of Warren's puts everyone in the entire world in danger. Um, he murders a newspaper editor. He attempts murder against a reporter. Um, he's only stopped because Psylocke and Wolverine go after him. And then, you know, there's all kinds of carnage in the, when the team goes to the Age of Apocalypse to try and get the seed for Warren. Um, and then when they get back from there and he has what he wants and he's fully, you know, Apocalypse's heir, he incinerates an entire town of over 3,000 people. Um, so 3000 murders plus one murder plus attempted murder. So lots of crimes so far. And X Factor has a really hard time stopping him. Um, If they didn't get extra help, Warren would have, Archangel Warren, Angel, whoever he is at this point, he would have turned the world into another Age of Apocalypse hellscape. And we also have to look at the team that his or the pain that his team members went through because they got like the shit beat out of them over and over and over as they're trying to stop him. And Betsy's turned into the horseman death, which is being turned into everything that she's fighting against in Warren. She's trying to help him with this situation. Um, So I think that Warren is responsible for his actions here because his false belief in his ego and thinking he can control Archangel is what causes all of these things to happen. And he put everyone in danger and killed thousands of people.
0: And then over to Sarah for the defense.
5: Welcome
0: to
1: Greenwalk and (laughs) Trials. I'm just like, listen, I mean, uh, the real defense is Remender wrote it, right? Like, that's the the real contextual defense is like, we can't hold people accountable for the things that they do when Rick Remender writes them. But much as as I'm sure the Chuck Austin defense will come up in the future. But (laughs) I swear, yeah, no, it's the rough one, right? Like, okay, you're listing crimes that he committed. He committed every one of those crimes. It is very hard to argue. I am a journalist, so it's really hard to watch somebody murder a journalist and be on their side, right? So I think that there's a lot of issues here. I will say that the things that he does correctly, is that he is in this position. I don't know why they're still putting him on super teams, right? Like, why is he still in this? I mean, even if you're doing the edgelord team, like you have to pull back the guy who's like clearly hanging by a thread. Right. So I will say though, the thing that he does is he puts Wolverine, Betsy, he has these people around him that he knows he can depend on to stop it. Right. Now, this is again I think every single time I defend Warren it's always like well somebody else is going to take responsibility for this but it's basically that like Betsy is the one who saves the day here and she has to give up so much for him and then he gets to be like I'm a blank slate now so it's whatever so I get it I mean I completely agree with a lot of things this is where you see how much of like a marshmallow I am in arguments like it's really hard for me to either defend or criminalize people. But I also think that the biggest issue with him here, I mean, we're seeing storyline after storyline after storyline where is cry for help, cry for help, cry for help. And what are they doing? They're still putting him in these high risk you know, combat situations. So what are you going to do? Like, yeah, he kills 3000 people. More people probably would have died if he hadn't been fighting against it. Now that is not necessarily a justification. That is definitely saying that like, as much as this guy is trying to pull back, the team keeps putting him in this position. And I think that there has to be a responsibility taken by everybody on the team, except for Betsy who does the right thing and does everything kind of well in this. Not to, not to give Betsy too much credit overall, but definitely she has been a person who is there for him in a way that it's not only does he repeatedly say he doesn't deserve it. He's just like stunned by how much she is there for him, but she makes the self-sacrificing choice. And then ultimately so does he, but He gets off real light in this. I can't, I can't argue against that.
0: There's a, there's something very, um, I don't know if even Shakespearean is right. There's the story about the woman who believes in the man despite his dark side, and then he turns her dark and she has to kill him. Uh, there's something very poetic and it's drawn out over a couple of years of stories. I think it's, uh, I think it's actually really powerful. Uh, and, and what went on to happen to, uh, to Psylocke after that. Uh, we also get a fresh beginning, which is the privilege story all over again. We have a man who became a literal uh, murderer of thousands of people who takes the potion and doesn't remember what happened and is now a new person. And we have a brand new character to start fresh from again. Uh, there's there's something where the white guy gets off <laughs> It makes it an uncomfortable story a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, my other thought here is, again, he's fully making these decisions. Uh, he made a deal with the devil and then became the devil. This is a story of him literally becoming the the uh, the worst villain. Uh, any thoughts here or clarifying questions in this section? Uh, I'm going to vote first this time and give him a five. Uh, Hussain.
4: I gotta go one here because this is all celestial seed for me. I I don't see this as Warren at all. So I'm gonna go with a one.
0: So the celestial seed is in complete control. It's a a different. end complete? Yeah. Bradley. Uh, I'm really not sure. Uh,
2: yeah, I'm gonna lean in favor of giving him some credit over autonomy and give him a three again (laughs) uh
3: steve i um i don't know if i've ever voted this way before but i think i will this time i'm giving him a five i don't think i've ever gone the full five but like there's there's so much to be said for autonomy and i absolutely have argued that and would argue that over and over that like the dark angel thing the apocalypse of it all the air the predestination but like at some point, and they, they, they've said it so well, is that, like, you, you knew this was coming. Like, you knew this was in the works since you first met Apocalypse. You knew this was the plan. Nothing was done to prevent it. A lot was done to, like, basically accept the situation as it was coming. And it is so morally evil. Like, I think the Dark Angel ultimately is a different person than Warren but also they share a body and I have been too light on him in the past. I'm going full five. This is morally evil. And then, uh, Noel.
5: Five. Um, because I think he is making choices. I mean, we see Betsy get help and like overcome the, you know, being made the horseman of death. Um, if I'm remembering that right. Um, you know, she she is able to overcome it with help, and Warren is getting help from her. So it seems like he wants to retain it, and he's actively making the choice. So five for me. And Sarah?
1: You know, better men have fallen to the Celestials and their terrible <laughs> might and cosmic power. Do any of us have free will? You know? Like... <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go um I'm gonna go with a two because (laughs) uh I don't think they I celestial Seed is a really strong argument you know like Rick Remender is a really strong argument I don't think he's totally culpable (laughs) however three thousand people did die one of them was a journalist um we don't know who the others were you know like there's these are all people with lives Uh, and the murder
0: the murder of famine as well we didn't talk about that much, the but it's murder a really, famine. She wants to protect her child and he slaughters her just because she's in his way. Like it's and it's pretty uncomfortable.
1: He like really hurts Betsy's feelings, you know? <laughs> so like two. All right. You're not getting <laughs> off so light.
0: All right, so that gives us a 21 in this section, and we will go to the final section on the trial, uh, trial point five, which we call Horsemen of Life. This is the story where the X-Men were just being ripped to shreds right before the Krakoa stuff launched. So this is in pretty recent history. The Archangel personality soon reasserted itself into the Warren that had been rewritten by the Life Seed, and Warren rushed to Clan Akaba again, those who serve Apocalypse, who begin cutting off his wings repeatedly as they kept growing back. And then the clan used these wings to create more evil Archangel clones like the choir from before. Uh, One of these clones briefly joined Magneto's team of X-Men and they thought it was Warren, which is adorable. Uh, In order to stop the clones, Angel merged with them creating yet another version of Archangel. Uh, That's in Uncanny X-Men volume four, number six through 10. Later, X-Man, the character who is Cable from the other reality, uh, made a bid for incredible power and calling himself the Horseman of Life, he recruited three new horsemen to serve him. Angel became the Horseman of Life, Blob, the Horseman of uh, Bounty, Magneto, the Horseman of Peace, and Omega Red, the Horseman of Wellness. Uh, The... Uh, horsemen attacked the Xavier Institute first thing, blowing it up in front of the X-Men. Then from their base on Quadra Island in Canada, X-Men broadcast to the world that he was a new messiah, sending his horsemen to remake the world in his image. Magneto and Angel were tasked with ending the war in the world, with all war in the world, and they went to the fictional country of Chernaya, which was on the brink of civil war, and stole all of their guns, uh, then changing them into a statue of the X-Men. The X-Men attacked Angel and Magneto in Trinaya, and Angel pleaded with Betsy to join their side so they could be together again. But Psylocke attacked and said instead, which unleashed Warren's Archangel side once again. Furious with Psylocke, Art- Archangel then gave into his warlike nature and turned against Magneto before leading the X-Men back to X-Man. In the end he joined the X-Men and fought against X-Men. It was a very complicated story <laughs> that's uh, contained uh, in that Uncanny X-Men volume. Let's turn it over to Steve for the prosecution here.
3: <sighs> Thank you. Um, what can be said about Angel at this point in his history? It's It's wild. I mean he's had so many chances and as people have pointed out just he will always keep getting those chances. He was born the kind of person who gets chances and they're unlimited and I think at this point don't you Angel's chances have just run out how many times can he be manipulated by a cult-like figure before it's his fault is he just predisposed to always fall in line with the next person who wants to start an age it seems like it It, at this point this doesn't seem to be a thing with the wings it seems more about his empty-headed naivete and Uh, That's something that can maybe get you away if you are a child, you know, and you're getting in trouble with things You, you didn't know better. But when you're an absolutely wealthy white man who is cis and is hetero in most respects that we can tell, it just starts to reek of like the rankest privilege. I can't stand it. I smell him from here and I'm getting sick just thinking about Angel in this arc. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And although he doesn't actually do much when he's working with X-Men towards the end here, just the fact that he signed up for this essentially a middle-aged teenager's incel nightmare. He, he's signed up for this pretty easily. Like we can understand that he's under maybe a little bit of control, control that he seems to enjoy being under by this point in his life. Um, but at the end of the day, he signed up for this again. And the moment that he's snapped out of it, the moment he snapped out of this, we're, we're told mind controlled by X-Man, he goes, why did you do that? You've ruined me forever. You've ruined my life, Betsy. I was so happy. I was so happy working for this megalomaniacal dictator of the soul loved it loved every second of it and I'll tell you all about how I loved it right after we we're done beating him up I guess I don't know that there's a lot to redeem Angel in this sure he may send a distress message during the IBX thing um you know he's he's really trying to get his teammates to stop him because he knows that what he is doing is criminal obviously he's crying out for help to stop him but he needs to be stopped and even he can recognize it
0: and then Bradley for the defense He's
2: trying his best, and he's real dumb. <laughs> uh, yeah, what can I say? I mean, he let himself get recruited into another fucking cult. I will say, I I felt very uh, sympathetic for him with like the way to break him out of like of one um one sort of brainwashing kind of thing is to shunt him into the persona that he really blames for where his life started going off the tracks. Uh, Like, the idea that he needed to become Archangel to break him out of something potentially worse. Uh, That that is a, you can't win for losing kind of thing. Uh, Like, I I felt very bad for him there, but like, (laughs) he's really blowing it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: was x-man in control i think so so if we are i'm just forming my thoughts if we're assuming x Men was in control uh, for me the worst thing he did here was go to clan akaba it's like oh no my powers are coming back let me go to the people who were serving apocalypse for help uh, we're also supposed to believe this is some sort of new man, right? The Celestial Life Seed rewrote him, but we immediately go back to him uh, battling Archangel again. Uh, I think there's some questions to be answered there by future writers, perhaps. Um, thoughts or clarifying points on this section?
2: Why is the answer to, like, when when his life is going wrong, why does the answer keep being about Apocalypse? could fix me. I think that sounds fun and flirty.
3: <laughs> I completely agree. Why does he always have to run off to them like, oh yes, the man named Genocide will be the right answer to help me. There's nobody like, else.
2: What's going on, baby? What do we need to get to the bottom of here?
0: <laughs> Any other thoughts in this section before we vote?
4: So so I am curious about whether he's under Nate's control because I don't think it was explicit, but I thought there were enough hints in there that it felt like maybe it control maybe it wasn't out and out control, but that Nate was using his telepathy to encourage, let's say. We covered this, so, yeah. we covered
0: this in the Blob trial very briefly because Blob was also one of the horsemen of salvation. Yeah. But I left with the sense that Blob was not in control really. Uh and also that he didn't do anything extraordinarily egregious. I mean, he stopped a war and turned their guns into worship us as an X-Men statue. <laughs> but uh uh yeah. Yeah. I, I I got the sense maybe that Nate was in control, but I think we have to form our own opinions on that. Um, so let's vote on that section. Uh, Sarah. <laughs> uh,
1: um, <laughs> yeah, I guess I'll uh, ride that three because like uh, it's all over the place with this guy. Right. Because it is like, OK, but why does this keep happening? You know, it's like, uh, are you in charge of this, maybe not, you know, it seems like you do have issues with control though. And maybe we kind of have to address that.
0: well and this we all leads to into, that. This all leads into the Age of X-Men storylines, which I personally which is- do not care for. It's a bunch of very talented writers and artists telling stories that were meh for me in this kind of section of history. Um, Except for
1: Prisoner X, that was really good. There was- but-
0: were some good stories told but it's an era i didn't care about you know sure
1: sure i mean yeah i feel like it's almost like x man is on trial for sure in this and going forward let's put nate on trial constantly but also yeah i don't know i guess it's like a three because it's like yeah he does bad things once again the is he in charge Uh, it's just kind of like the same thing that we've gone over you know in all of these where it's like well is he is he doing this? And then it's like, well, if he's not doing it, then this is like a one for the books, right? Like, this is one person who's done all of these atrocities and not been responsible for any of them. And that is incredible. Like,
0: uh, Noel.
5: I'm going to go five because I'm like sick of his bullshit at this point. Like, you can't keep <laughs> making the same mistake and get away with it. So I'm pissed at him and I'm giving him a five.
3: A nice spiteful five.
2: I'm gonna, I will say, uh, he keeps, he really likes to let himself be uh, dommed, which sheds a lot of light on the Psylocke and Candy Southern of it all. Uh, and Gene, <laughs> but, I mean. And Gene, yeah. Uh, he, he sure does like to get himself in a situation where someone will tell him what to do. Uh, but uh, I'm gonna go three, cause I really don't, I feel like there's a lot of psychic nudging, but he does shoot, like he chose initially to go to Clan Kaaba, just like he did the first time with uh, Apocalypse.
0: Uh, so it... let's make it a four. I'm gonna make it a four. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's actually a two for me here. I feel like he has kind of a new identity, no, new motivations. Uh, he's a different person, clearly struggling with some significant mental illness. Uh, he didn't know who he was for a while. Then he had this like messianic phase where he's preaching to people. I, it's it's a weird set of stories, again by really talented people. But I did not understand Angel in this uh, in this series. Uh, Steve,
3: um, I, mm, it's so difficult. I really want to give it a three because he is like very much more culpable in one of the. Than the other, I think. Like, and these are two kind of separate stories in which he does similar things. He does always want to be dominated. Uh, I respect and admire that in him. You know, that's a really that's a really nice thing when it's an appropriate situation. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not an appropriate situation, however, yeah. What what makes me want to push this to an actual four is the fact that the moment he snapped out of X-Man's control, he's like, put me back, are you serious? And I understand that he's in, he's under so much pressure and so much pain, and he's out of his mind when Clan Akaba is offering these things to him, and it would be so difficult to turn it down, given the state that he's in. It really would. And betraying his friends like that, I understand. There's a lot of mitigating factors, but ultimately it's like, you know better than literally anybody alive that this was a criminal mistake to go to genocide and give him your wings. I, I can't look past that. That's a four.
4: Uh, and then finally, Hussein. I'm going to go for a three, mostly because of what Sarah said. Um, and also, I'm just somewhat sold over where Nate's mind is, like, in all of this. Like how much control Nate is
0: exerting. Um, so we get a 23 out of 30 in that section. And I'm going to tabulate the final score very quickly. One moment. Uh, that gives Angel a 56% on the asshole scale if I'm doing my math right, which is kind of, you know, it's a little less than Quicksilver and Professor X and Beast, but a little more than Juggernaut and Magneto. That's,
1: <laughs> that's about, about right, though.
0: I think that's probably pretty It's fair.
2: appropriately yeah. middle of the that's line. That's yeah, appropriate, I think, yeah.
0: Um, as we are kind of wrapping up here, I'd like each of you to share with me where people can find you online, what we have uh, that we might be able to look forward to coming up from you here uh, in the near future. Recognizing this episode is going to be released on July 10th, um, and uh, just kind of final thoughts on what you learned about the angels today. Uh, let's go with uh, Noelle first.
5: Yeah, I'm Noelle, um, host of X-Men Unraveled. I'm currently working my way through the um, Original run of Uncanny X Men, so it's been fun so far. I, I, en- I'm ending this in a worse place with Angel than I started it. Um, I feel like I was giving him a lot of credit and like cutting him a lot of slack when I was doing the reading, and that's the reason I went to five of them. I'm just like, okay, I'm over it. Like you cannot keep doing the same things. So actually ending in a worse place than I usually do with these characters at the end of the trials. Um he need, he needs some redemption for me, but Middling is perfect for him.
0: Hussein next please.
4: Um okay, Hussein Rashid, you can find me on my website, husseinrashid.com, on Twitter at @slamoyaki. Um Anything fun coming up? Uh, not a lot yet. Hopefully, on the next time I'm on, I'll be able to announce a couple of projects that will be ready for checking out. Um, I look forward to so that. I'm making yeah. an assumption here that I'm coming back again. Uh, I would love to have you. Where back. Am I? Yes. Uh where I'm at with Angel, I, I gotta agree with Noel. I, you know, I started this by saying I was really neutral on Angel. He wasn't one of my favorites, but I didn't dislike him. And there's some things I like about him a little bit more, but generally I actually am actively disliking him. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay getting rid of uh, beast and uh, and angel from the OG five now. <laughs> uh,
0: Bradley, next. Uh, my name is
2: Bradley. Uh, you can catch. Uh, oh, this is coming out in July. The new should already be out. Young Men in Love. Uh, uh, anthology of, uh, of queer stories, uh, by queer people, it's lo- uh, all romance-based, but, uh, it's got, like, a bunch of different genres. Uh, I did, uh, I colored one story and illustrated another one, um, with, uh, Terry Bloss, who's also been, uh, on this podcast. Who's a personal uh, friend of mine, yes. And a lovely, lovely gal. Uh, who it's a gay ghost story. So pick that up. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at knife system. Exactly like it sounds. Uh, And um, my feelings about Angel. Yeah, he stays, uh, he stays hot and rich. So I'm available if he wants to give me a call. Um, But no, really uh, further proof than ever that the only top uh, in the 5 is Gene.
1: Agreed. Agreed.
0: <laughs> uh, Sarah, next please.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, still Sarah Century, and you can find me on Twitter, definitely. I also have a website, uh, SarahCentury.com which I have updated now in like the first time in like two years. So I'm really proud of it, um, even though it's literally just basic information about me. And I have the podcast, Bitches on Comics. You want to check that out, probably. Um, I also do the Decoded Pride Anthology most years, every year so far. I have many things in the horizon, so we'll talk about that later. I thought Young Men in Love is great. I just got the PDF, so yeah, thanks. Like, it's good stuff, so I hope everybody goes and checks that out. Um, I still love Angel. You'll notice that I have a history of truly only listening to the parts that I like, so like with a character, I can fast forward. I'm a Gene fan. I can fast forward through anything. Like, I'm just like, you know what? I like her here, here and here. And that's why she's the greatest character who's ever lived. And like, that is, that's what I do with Angel. I like certain parts of him. Here's the thing. We didn't talk about anything that was good about him. (laughs) We talked about all of his worst moments. So if we're putting him on trial and we're going to hate him. Yeah, of course. Because like we're talking about all of the worst things that he ever did. This all sucks. Like this was the worst, but (laughs) Bobby I mean, keeps I'm a making Frost people. Fan.
2: You can't kill me in any way that matters. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm just like, you know what? Bobby keeps introducing people to his parents, and that's criminal too. So <laughs> I'm gonna say, there's, there's, you know, the, the 5 They're a mess. They're a mess. So I gotta say, I still love this guy. He's affable. He's charming. He's the kind of person who I would hang out because he has an amazing girlfriend. I always love wife guys who have a cool girlfriend. I'm gonna hang out with you both. You both seem really great. So I'm going to hang out with him still. I think that he's the cool guy. And then people are going to be like, did you know that he's, um, yeah, like a mass murderer?" And I'm like, what? But no, then he's, I'm a like, <laughs> he's a little dummy. He's a little, are you serious? He just did a Cary Grant joke. And it called back to all the things that I like from back in the day. Like, come on. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm going to say that I remain an apologist, I guess, <laughs> that is probably the best way to go about my approach to Warren right now.
0: Uh, and then finally steve
3: uh, yeah i um i would say that i like warren more than i did before we started recording today which is a little crazy i think to say but it's really just that like this was a nothing character to me who only existed in so far as he was the perfect himbo like he's great to look at lucas wernick if you want to draw some more angel go ahead anytime and it's just it's it's good it's fun he's so dumb He's so hot and he's so rich and he's just like a really fun character, but he was kind of a nothing to me beyond that. And now I see that he has this dark tortured side that I kind of fucking hate. Um, and I kind of love reading characters that I kind of fucking hate. It's really, I'm, I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't be swearing that much. on this Well, you can hair, swear out here. It's okay. Right. Well, I kind of fucking hate him, but I kind of really <laughs> like him. I'm a big <laughs> Havoc fan and I think that should explain oh, everything yeah. I feel about him.
4: Yeah
1: same
4: vibe right like exactly the
1: same vibe oh,
4: rigged, no, no, no. please same no, vibe. Don't, don't put warren and alex in the same don't vibe. do that no, no 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 we are not <laughs> going to do that no no we are absolutely i will not...
3: expound on this great length if i ever get a chance <laughs> but yeah i um i like him a little bit better because he's he's more of an actual character whether i hate him or whether i love him or whether i'm always mad at him it's better than me just being like oh angel showed up in this book i guess
0: uh, before I wrap up, Haseed, you had a vocabulary word for everybody today.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think, look, I think if we're going to talk about Alex, we have to put him on trial for not finishing his PhD and if we're going to come <laughs> back to Warren, we 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 have to absolutely ask, is he a boyfriend or is he a Lothario or is he a himbo? I mean, I think that's the next Warren Worthington trial we've got to go through.
0: Yeah. Lothario, everyone, <laughs> is a fantastic word. <laughs> uh, and then just to close out, my name is Chad Anderson. I uh, I believe in a lot of Angel's history, we have writers that were choosing to use him. They brought him into the Champions and the Defenders because he was an available character that the writer had ideas for, right? Uh, then they made that decision to put the original five back in X Factor, and Louise Simonson sat down at the table with Chris Claremont and decided, let's do the Archangel Fall from Grace story, which is brilliant. And then I think things changed at Marvel a little bit. I think in the more modern eras, we see writers being recruited for particular projects or pitching something. So we say something like, I have a wet works, crazy blood hasher, X-Force book idea, right? Uh, And we wanna do this story. And then they're given a list of available characters. We need Wolverine. Let's look down at the list. Here's Wolvesbane, here's Archangel. What kind of stories could we do with them now? They get added to the story uh, based on that. And I think most of our modern teams are that kind of thing. We have the, the writers pitching ideas and then choosing the characters off a list and it sort of seems like his more modern stories are people taking where he was left off and then let's do something new with it uh, and i think it's been done effectively and it's been done ineffectively uh so just kind of interesting as i stack him up that's kind of what stands with me but i do like angel particularly uh pre-archangel angel like the heroic wingy guy in the 80s and 70s uh is a lot of fun i i really have a lot of affection for that version of him I really love him in the 60s books as well. Um, I always announce who our next trial will be. At the end of, uh, of this trial, we will be putting uh, Namor the Submariner on trial next month, which was a fuck ton of research and reading a lot of uncomfortable thirties comics, which I've never read before. And uh, I'll share some thoughts on that in our next trial. Uh, we look forward to seeing everybody back here next time on Green Malcolm Lane. Let me thank everybody here in the jury for the, for the gift of your time and talents today. I had a lot of fun. Uh, I hope you did as well. Okay, with that, we will wrap up and uh, see you back here next time. Thank you so much for listening to Gray Malkin Lane. I'm pouring a lot of time, labor, and love into this podcast, and I truly hope you are enjoying it. We're seeking to create a unique space here, and I'm really proud of what we've put out so far and really excited about what we have coming up. Gray Malkin Lane is recorded and edited at a private studio in Salt Lake City, Utah. Music and editing are done by my husband, Michael Bell. Gray Malkin Lane can be found on Twitter at Gray Malkin P, P like podcast and on Instagram under Malkin Lane. If you're enjoying our work, help us spread the word about this unique podcast. Please leave us a good review wherever you listen, and check out our bonus content and fan engagement on Patreon. We'll see you back here next episode on Grey Malkin Lane.